and we are on air right now for Fan for Racing Radio for our Richmond NASCAR Race Review. And joining me shortly will be our co-host, Sal Sagala, and uh, we're going to have a one-hour show tonight for our review show. We'll have 10-minute segments, starting with some short track news, followed by some Arkham Menards East and West Series updates, and our Truck Series uh, Richmond Race Gray Review. At 9 o'clock Eastern Time, we do have some post-race audio from the Truck Series winner, Chandler Smith. He's the driver of the number 18 Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota Tundra. Afterward, we'll have to offer some updates from the NASCAR Xfinity Series and then our NASCAR Cup Series review of Richmond. At 9.30 tonight, we have our Hot Topic sound off with the Fan for Racing crew, and uh, <clears throat> that will be a full hour for Hot Topics tonight. So uh, we're definitely looking forward to that. Uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started with some short track news here, some of the latest news uh, in short track racing. Uh, in addition to the racing that took place at, at uh, Richmond this weekend, uh, it, there was lots of racing going on in other places around the country, including Five Flags Speedway. Uh, not for the first time, not even the second, but for the third time this season, Logan Boyette sweeps the feature events in two divisions at Five Flags Speedway. He won the truck race and also the outlaw feature for the third time this season. So uh, that's really cool uh, that uh, we see that happening for uh, for uh, Logan Boyette. Also, Tom Davos hit a milestone this past week. He won his 100th career feature at Berlin Raceway. He won the limited late model portion at uh, Berlin, and Davis won, Davos won the seventh time this season. He's now only a three career wins behind Bob Seneker, uh, the all-time track leader who has 103. So uh, a huge milestone for Tim Davos. Okay. I'm watching for Sal here. Hopefully he'll be here shortly. Uh, also, the final pass tune-up for the Oxford 250 in two weeks uh, leaves us with D.J. Shaw in victory lane. A year ago, Cassius Clark won that final race before the 250 and won on the big night. Is this year that the Shaw family finally gets to take the trophy back to Center Conway, New Hampshire? Mike Rowe was also in the lineup as he got some laps in ahead of what could be his 40th, Oxford 250. Sammy Smith, that's a familiar name for us. Uh, he won the first super late model race at North Wilkesboro Speedway in 11 years. Uh, it's been 11 years since we've raced at that track. He won the Southern Super Series CRA Super Series 75-lap shootout and beat out Hunter Robbins and Bubba Pollard for that victory. So a huge win there for Sammy Davis. <clears throat> uh, also, Bowman Gray Stadium uh, has some amazing numbers. Burt Myers won the first 50-lap modified race uh, to raise his win total to 88 in that top division. And fellow driver Jonathan Brown won for the 25th time in his career 
in the second 50-lap race. The storyline next week is going to be that Tom, Tim Brown is chasing his 11th track title. He's seeking his first win of the season, and the veteran has 94 career wins at the stadium. And number 95 next week could be a huge way to end the season that has seen him finish in the top five 15 times. Uh, so if you're a fan of racing, that's uh, definitely something you do not want to miss. Also, Brett Cruz became the seventh different first-time winner this season at Hickory Motor Speedway, North Carolina. There's been 12 different winners in 23 races, and uh, as the season starts to wind down, uh, Landon Huffman should have a hold on the points lead after the point playoff reset. He was third and second in the twin 40-lap races. Also, we talked about the Knoxville Nationals last week. Uh, Donnie Schott won for the 11th time in his career. That's only second behind Steve Kinzer. Sammy Swindell is looking to tie Steve Kinzer for A-main starts at the Nationals, according to the World of Outlaws. Uh, he didn't make the show and remains just one start behind Kinzer. So uh, that's uh, some racing news from this past weekend of racing uh, that I think everybody's going to uh, uh, look forward to. And then we also have here from Flow Sport Racing, and it sounds like uh, Sal is with us. Sal, <laughs> are you here? I, yes, I'm so, I'm sorry, sorry, Sharon. I I couldn't find my I couldn't find my earplugs. Oh no. Okay, well, we're glad to yeah, have you. Yeah, and then we you. got a bunch of, yeah, I'm here, so let's, let's do it. Okay, well, I did, the, I did uh, the first page from Racing America. I'm on Flow Racing now. Uh, this is okay. Who's Kyle Larson's Racing High Limit Open? Uh, who's Racing yes. in Kyle Larson's High Limit Open? Uh, there's a lot of drivers there. Also, Bell, Friesen, and Schrader are joining the Penty Series this Tuesday. That's tomorrow night. Uh, best at the first dirt race in series history at Osh Weekend uh, Speedway in Ontario. So that is really big news. Yeah, I I, I read about that. I think it I think it came out this morning sometime or this afternoon when I was, you know, it's it's uh yeah I was, I was reading it. Was, thought it was really big, especially for that series. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so many good things happening, and I love seeing the crossover with NASCAR drivers uh, getting involved in the other NASCAR series, uh, getting involved in the short track racing from across the country. It's really good to see, Sal. Yeah, you know, and actually for a while the teams wasn't allowing it. You know, they weren't allowing the drivers to cross over, you know, because of the, because of the, because of the, um, just uh, the danger, especially yes. especially the sprint cars, because remember mm-hmm. we had all those deaths. We had like Brian Clawson, we had um, uh, Jason Leffler. You know, we had these guys. You know, mm-hmm. who, were, who were getting hurt real bad in the sprint cars, and they kind of put a stop to it. But now, you know, they're back to allowing them again. Yeah, and I think it's good. It's really fun to see uh, that happening all around the country. Okay, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to the Arkham Menard series, uh, Sal. Um, 
they're not they did not race this past weekend, but they will be racing the upcoming weekend. So uh, the Arkham Menard Series will race on the 19th, and that race, by the way, will be at Watkins Glen International along with the other NASCAR series uh, that will be racing there this weekend. Uh, but it's also a Sioux Chief Showdown event uh, on August the 19th at 6 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So let's go ahead and cover the uh, points for the Arkham Menard Series and then the Sioux Chief Showdown. If you want to do the Arkham Menard Series, I'll do the Sioux Chief Showdown. Okay, so we're doing the the regular Menard Arkham Menards, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, Menard, the Menards. Yeah, let me get off the Menard Series points. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we are. We're we're looking at um, Nick Sanchez is leading the the points. Um, seven behind is is Raja Karuth. Um, and third is Daniel Dye, who's nine behind. And then from there, then you have a, a big jump. So basically, this whole thing is going to go down at Nick, Raja, and Daniel. But in fourth, you got Greg Van Alst, who's 84 points behind. And then um, the top five would be Tony Bredinger. Bredinger. And then um, behind Tony is um, um, Albert Balkin. And I know those those two they're they're pretty good friends with each other. So they have they probably have a little what do you say, like a little um friendly uh, competition. competition between them too. <laughs> friendly competition who's gonna finish higher 'cause I've I've shot the both of them at the same races over here and, and, mm-hmm. and I know they've talked to each other. And then from there then we go down to Brad Smith and actually he's the old going from seventh up are the only ones that have raced every race. And then from mm-hmm. there we go to eighth is um Sammy Smith. And then ninth is Taylor Gray, and tenth is D.L. Wilson. Okay. Uh, also, uh, the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, race will be this weekend, and uh, I want to go over those standings as well. Sammy Smith, it's the same players, but a little bit different order. Sammy Smith has a lead there at 252 points, Taylor Gray at 233 points behind. Then it's Jesse Love, 229, so just uh, what is that, Five, four points behind uh, Gray. And uh, eight points behind Love is Daniel Dye. Raja Karuth is three, two points uh, behind Daniel at 219. And four points behind him is his teammate, Nick Sanchez. Uh, that's the top six. Then we go to Tony Breidinger in seventh at 187 points. Five points behind her is Greg Van Alst at 182. Twelve points behind Amber is Brad Smith at 151 points. And in 10th place, oh, that is 10th place, Brad Smith. No, that's so, 10th, yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is six of the ten races uh, when they race this weekend at uh, Watkins Glen. That will be the seventh of 10 races for the Sioux Chief Showdown. The other three races will be at Milwaukee, DeCoin, and then the finale will take place at Bristol. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch both of these series as they uh, continue to wind down their seasons. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run. It's going to be, uh, like you said, it's going to be a close one for this for the Sioux Chief Sioux Chief showdown. Gosh, okay. I, I would have trouble saying that. Some of these guys have trouble even saying their names. 
you know, before it was easy. I mean, I mean, seriously, what happened to to Richmond? What happened to Earnhardt? What happened to Petty? What happened to Labonte? <laughs> Man, you got some of these guys that, you know, I mean, their, their names are really it. tongue twisters. Oh, they're tongue twisters. But okay, now on August 20th, uh, the ARCA West is going to be racing out at Evergreen Speedway. That's going to be available on live streaming over at Flow Racing, the Napa Auto Parts ARCA West 150 on August the 20th at 6.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time, and it would be at 9.30 Eastern Time. So uh, also the week following will be the Sprecher 150 out at the Milwaukee Mile for the ARCA East. Uh, that's at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, and that will be televised on MAP-TV. So if you want to give the uh, points report for the ARCA West, I'll do it for the ARCA East. So. Okay, so the ARCA West, um, J-Crew is still leading the points. Uh, second is Cole Moore, 43 behind, 45 actually. And then T- Tanner Rice is in third, um, 49 behind, and then from there then you go to fourth is Todd Sousa, fifth is Paul uh, Petrosilli Jr. And then from there, then you go to um, sixth is Joey Joey East, seventh is Takuma Koga, eighth is Bridget Burgess, ninth is actually Austin Herzog's not racing anymore. So then we would go mm-hmm. back to Paul Petrosilli and then um, Sebastian Arias. Um, Landon Lewis took over his seat, so, oh, so Austin's okay. not in the. Yeah, Austin's Austin's done for the season. The sixteen went to Landon Lewis, who that happens to be my the driver I'm shooting for the rest of the season in the Arca West. So I'll be out at um, Evergreen this this weekend. Oh, nice! I'm glad to hear that, Sal. Yeah, yeah. I got a, oh. I got a call on Thursday to to see if I wanted to finish out a season with him. So. Oh, cool! Marks That's really down. cool. Yeah, don't turn those down. Okay, uh, next up we have the ARCA East point standings. Uh, there are five drivers who have raced all five races. Uh, they include Sammy Smith, who is your points leader at 278 points. He has three wins on the season with five top fives and five top tens. Uh, average start is 3.6. His average finish, though, is 2.0. So he's having a great season here in the Arca East. Uh, Taylor Gray is your second-place driver. He's 27 points back. He has the one win and four top fives with four top tens. Uh, his average start is 2.6, but his average finish is at 5.4. Leland Honeyman is uh, your third-place driver. He's 31 points back. That's just four points behind Taylor, Taylor Gray. Uh, Stephanie Moyer at negative 73 points. Uh, She just has the one top ten. Leland Honeyman has uh, three top fives and five top tens. Uh, Brad Smith is your fifth-place driver. Uh, He's the last driver who's raced all five races. He's 76 points back, so he's just three points behind Stephanie Moyer. Uh, The other drivers in the top ten include Christian Rose, Jake Finch, uh, Donald Thiggy, Connor Jones, and Jonathan Schaefer. Uh, so this one really has five main competitors, and really it's the top three again 
uh, that are really vying for that top spot. But it's going to be hard to catch Sammy Smith. He's been on such a roll this year. Yeah, he's he's had a really good solid season, and like you said, it's going to be it's it's not going to be an easy one to to uh, to catch. No, it's not. Okay, next we're going to get into. Again, we're a little ahead of the schedule, but I think we're going to need the time. Uh, is we've got the uh, stats here for the truck race at Richmond Raceway. And uh, give me a second. I had to pull everything back up again about two minutes before we came on air. So everything that I had all prepared was unprepared for me. And so I have to start all over here. Okay, so it was uh, the third annual Worldwide Express 250 Carrier Appreciation out at Richmond Raceway this weekend. And Chandler Smith, at the age of 20, driving the number 18 Charge Me Toyota for Kyle Busch Motorsports and crew chief Danny Stockman, Jr. Uh, it was his fifth victory in 56 Truck Series races, his third victory in 12 top 10 finish this season, and his first victory and second top 10 finish in just three races at Richmond. John Hunter Nemechek finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at Richmond, and his 13th Top 10 finish this season. Ty Majeski, uh, he finished third, posting his first top 10 finish in one race at Richmond. He was also the pole sitter for the day. Corey Heim, who finished fifth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. This was an exciting race to watch uh, in the truck series on Saturday night. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> The first truck off pit road uh, was the one that you knew was going to control the race. Uh, that was the story of Chandler Smith's dominating victory Saturday in Saturday night's race at Richmond. Smith took charge of the second event in the Camping World Truck Series playoff when he won the race off pit road under caution on lap 75. Now, during that break between the first and second stages, uh, Chandler Smith was able to get out into the lead, and he pretty much uh, didn't look back after that. Uh, he dominated the final two stages and won uh, the race out at Richmond Raceway for his first at Richmond and the third win of the season, the fourth of his career. John Hunter Nemechek finished second, nearly three seconds behind Smith, then it was Ty Majeski, Cranton Finger, and Corey Heim, the top rookie, rounding out the top five. Taylor Gray, Matt Crafton, Christian Eckes, Zane Smith, and Carson Hosebar rounded out the remainder of the top ten. The round of ten championship playoff drivers had only two that failed to finish within the top five, top ten. Then it was Stuart Friesen, uh, and he finished in 11th. Then it was Ben Rhodes finishing 18th. The pole sitter and eventual third-place finisher um, was Ty Majeski. He won the opening stage, but a fall by his jackman during a pit stop following the end of the stage dropped him back two spots for the stage two restart. Um, that's, uh, Smith took the lead following that restart and maintained it to the finish. There were four lead changes among three drivers and three cautions for 25 
yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 96.209 miles per hour. Your thoughts, Sal, about those uh, top ten drivers? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I, I was out with the uh, – out at Orndale, so I really didn't get to watch it, but I watched – I usually just flipped through it real quick when I recorded, and yeah, it was a pretty dominating win at the end for Chandler Smith. Um, it was, uh, you know, um, it was a good race for him. You know, something they needed. I thought John Hunter Nemechek, he was. They were just him and Tommy Jesse were just too far out behind him. But it was kind of mm-hmm. neat to hear the to hear Matt Craft at the end of the race. You know, he was excited, you know, at the seventh place finish. You know, he was just really, you know, upbeat about it. Usually he's pretty down on himself for finishes like that. But I'll tell you, he was just really, really super upbeat about, you know, where he finished. Um, I don't know what issues they had as a team, but um, I'll tell you one thing. It was um, it was good to see that, that, um, that kind of attitude from, you know, from a past champion. Absolutely. Well, put him on top of the cut line. He was below the cut line going into yeah. that race, and that seventh-place finish was enough to put him above the cut line. Uh, it's now uh, Carson Hosevar and Christian Eckes that are below that cut line. Um, the margin of victory was 2.790 seconds, and uh, there was only one driver who had an accident, Nick Lights, uh, driver of the number 34 car, yeah, or 33 car or truck, um, had an accident and was out of the race on lap 209. There were some other cars that were out early. Uh, it was a 247 or 248-lap race, 250-lap race, uh, and not everybody made it to the end, but only one driver out because of an accident, so that was kind of good news. Yeah. Okay, now for the points report, Sal. Okay, so the points we got one race that remains before the before the before the cutoff. So of course mm-hmm. you got Chandler Smith leading. Chandler Smith and Granny and Finger already locked in. So you got Chandler Smith leading the points. You got um, Granny and Finger in second, and then be, behind them, which are the ones that are fighting for the for the spots to get in, would be um, Zane Smith at twenty one oh nine, and then you got a. Uh, you got John Hunter Nemechek at 21.06. Ty Majewski at 20.99. Stuart Friesen at 20.94. Ben Rose at 20.84. Matt Crafton at 20.66. And um, then you got Carson Hosevar, who's three points out at 20.63. And Kristen Eckes, who's also out of the below the cut line. Not He's not out, but he's below the cut line at, at minus six. Behind yeah, that cool. so yeah. So basically, the way it looks is is I doubt they can they can any of them can can catch the twenty one points of Ben Rhodes. That's going to be up. Ben would have to go out right away at the beginning of the race, and then these guys would have to finish really high. But it almost looks like it's going to be uh, Matt Crafton against Hosevar and Chris Inecki the next race. Mm-hmm. You know, in order mm-hmm. to stay in. So that's going to be that's going to be a good battle right there. You know, with with those with those drivers, unless one of them picks up a win, Carson Hosevar picks up his first win, or Chris Chris picks up his first win. But um, other than that, you know, it's um, it looks like Zane Smith and um, John Hunter Nemechek, Tyron Chesky for sure. It looks like they're locked in going into the next 
into the next round. Yes, indeed. Now, that next race for the Camping World Truck Series will be, and this is the elimination race that's on Friday, September the 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, out at Kansas Speedway. They'll be racing 134 laps uh, over 201 miles, and that will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So that's a do-not-miss race. Two drivers will be eliminated from that top ten, and it goes down to the round of eight. Yeah, it's, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna finish out to be you know a, you know real strong. You know the next race is gonna finish out you know be really strong. You know I'm curious to see how it uh. I think it's you know, gonna how, be super how it's all gonna play out. Oh yeah, it's it gonna, definitely is gonna be super competitive. Now the next three races for the playoff round of eight will take place September the fifteenth at Bristol Motor Speedway. October the 1st at Talladega Super Speedway, and then October the 22nd will be the elimination round uh, at Homestead Miami Speedway, and that pairs the list down to just four drivers. So they'll have the round of eight, but that that race at Homestead, four drivers will be eliminated, and only four drivers will move on. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good. Uh... By the time we get to um, to uh, Phoenix, did you did you expect that Chandler Smith was going to win this week? I didn't. I didn't think he. I think he'd win. I, I I really thought Zane Smith was gonna was gonna step up, you know, and, and get you know and get one of his wins, you know, with this round mm-hmm. like this. I didn't ever expect the Chandler Smith. I just thought it seemed like. Um, uh, like St. Smith was, you know, one of the, you know, was one of the, the more stronger competitors, but, or even yeah. John Hunter Nemechek. I mean, I mean, especially after the season that, that Nemechek had last year, you know, yep. you know, you kind of expected or not expected, but you're kind of, you know, you know, everybody's kind of thinking, you know, that, you know, he was going to come in, you don't have a, you know, and, and, you know, do some dominant, you know, have some dominating races, but, um, you know, Chandler Smith got the win. He got himself locked in, you know, and that's just, that's just, I guess that's how it goes. Who is your pick for the uh, truck series to win at Kansas? I I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Zane Smith. I, I really think he's going to put it all together and get the, and get the win. They've been, they've been close all season. They've had a good season, a good, um, Consistent season, but I, I think that I think Zane's going to fall together. This race, Matt Crafton seems to like the mile and a half tracks. I could see Matt Crafton, you know, um, uh, staying, you know, staying above, you know, in the top eight. Um, I don't know. I just think I think Carson Hosevar is just too. He's too new, too fresh. I don't, I don't think he has experience to, you know, he's already shown that he doesn't have the experience you know, to um, handle the pressure, you know, of, of situations like this. And I think mm-hmm. he's either going to wreck himself out or he's just not going to have a good race. Um, Christian Eckes is another story. He does have the experience. He does know how to how to perform in races like this. But uh, it's just going to, you know, yeah, but I, I think that, uh, like to say, the cream rises to the top. And I just think that Matt Crafton, 
you know, the veteran driver, you know, he knows how to get it done. He knows what it takes, you know, he knows, mm-hmm. he knows how to race. He knows how to race these types of races. You know, you don't have a winning truck, but you know what? You just need to stay ahead of the other, the other two drivers, you know, no matter where they're at on the track. You just need to stay ahead of them, you know, to get to, to get to the next. I think sometimes the newer drivers tend to be very aggressive, but they don't realize that it's better to kind of, uh, uh, Sometimes slower is faster, if you know what I mean. Sometimes it's better to race smart than it is to race aggressive because uh, that uh, you've got to be there at the end to contend. And if you're too wild during the race, uh, you might not be there at the end to be able to contend for that win. So that's the lesson that I think a lot of these younger drivers, uh, first-year drivers, uh, still have to get under their belt. Uh, but you're right, the veteran drivers, they all know that, and they're going to race smart. Oh, yeah, they're they're they're, they're going to race the cars that's given to them. You know, they're not going to try to, Yeah, everybody, they try to get more out of their car, you know, which mm-hmm. is what they're, taught to, what they're taught to do. But the veterans also know how to try to get more out, but also know how to save enough, you know, to get to, get to the next step. And the younger drivers, they think they, they just don't. They don't look like that, you know. They look, um, you know, they look at, you know, they just look at, at things another way. Mhm. Okay. Well, we're at the top of the hour, Sal, and it's time for us to um, uh, listen to the winner of that truck series race, uh, who was uh, Chandler Smith. He drives the number 18 for Kyle Busch Motorsports. And uh, he had a fantastic race uh, in this uh, uh, race out at Richmond. It's the second round of the first round, if you will. And uh, we'll hear what he has to say. It's a short interview. It's just a little over four minutes. And you and I will have time to comment afterward, okay? Okay. Media availability, we're joined by Chandler Smith. Driver of the number 18, Charge Me Toyota. Chandler, you got your third win of the season. Tell us how, how it happened. Um, how did it happen? Well, we got track position after stage one caution. My picker did a really good job. Um, we were able to tam- obtain the lead then, and, I mean, we never lost it from there. Sounds like a great night. We'll go ahead and open it up to questions, and uh, please raise your hand. We'll get a wireless mic to you. Start front with Bob. Bob Parker, Fox Sports. What have the last two weeks been like, and were you ready for this? Was any part of your thought, man, you're not ready for this race today just after having the baby and everything? Just like I said on the front stretch, like, God is so good is, like, the best way I could describe it. All the blessings keep, like, just stacking up on top of each other. Um, me and my wife just had a child, a baby boy, everything. He, he's healthy. She had a really good labor and delivery. Couldn't ask for anything more. Um, they're both at home. They're going to be coming to the races here before long as well. Can't wait for that. And um, it's just, it's it's surreal. It seems like just so many good things keep happening. And I just, like I said, it's not of my doing at all. It's all from the good Lord's doing. So I'm just going to be faithful and give all the glory to him and keep on chucking along. Okay. Any more questions? Right here in the back. So, Lewis, TSJ Sports, uh, 
obviously uh, there in that, that long green flag run in State Street. I mean, everything was a long green flag run tonight. But uh, there in State Street, John Hunter was, was starting to catch you there. Um, and then the caution came out. You were able to re-rack with new tires. But what was the concern like in the truck uh, when, when you see John Hunter coming? Uh, I wasn't really concerned because I was actually saving a little bit there. And I would fire off on restarts, build a gap, get a really big gap. So when I got in lap traffic, I didn't have to push issues or whatnot. And then actually I got into the 62 because he cut me off and then he cut me off again. And I, I mean, there's only so many times I'm going to sit there and let you do it, whether you're a lap car or not. So, um, yeah, when that happened, he was able to catch up. And But all before then, I just started saving tires, just being easy on my equipment just in case something like that instance happened. Um, and he caught me, I was able to fire back off, go, and build a gap, which I was able to do. We were side-by-side side there for a brief second, then I took back off and was gone, and I'm glad I was able to make that choice. Go ahead, Jordan. Jordan Bianchi, the athletic, this time of the year, drivers are looking ahead a little bit to next year, wondering what you are at in the planning stage for your plans. For... Yeah, I'm just focused on trying to get to Phoenix, winning a championship, and I felt like the good Lord will set me somewhere good next year if I do that. So. Do you expect to be back in the trucks? you looking to move it on? Like I said, I'm just waiting around, buddy. All right. Any more questions? Where am I here in the back? Uh, Luke and Glower from Front Stretch. With this being your third win this season, uh, surpassing last year, uh, how confident do you feel about making a deep run to these playoffs? And that how well, how instrumental has it been working at with KBM? Uh, having a career season like this? Yeah, I mean, overall, it's been a blessing just to be around the group of people I am. I've learned so much and made so many good relationships on a uh, personal level and a business level being at KBM. So uh, they have all the resources. They have all the right people there. And um, it's made me better as a person and better as a race car driver. So I'm forever grateful for the opportunity that Toyota Racing gave me to uh, put me in the number 18 Safe Flight Tundra for uh, most of the season and also in the number 18 Charge Me Toyota Tundra for uh, the season as well. So um, it, it's amazing, though. Kyle was here tonight. You know, he's always in a good mood when I see him. I know sometimes you guys see him in different situations than I do, but every time I see Kyle, he's always got a ha happy smile on his face. So it was good to see Boss Man in victory lane with me, though. All right. Any more questions? Not upstairs. All right. Chandler, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Okay, there you have it. Okay, do you your thoughts about the interview with Chandler Smith, Sal? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's you know, of course, you know, you you have to, you know, be um, politically correct, you know, anymore nowadays, you know, when you do your interviews, um, you know, you know, he spoke, you know, about, you know, of course, you know, after the question, you know, about the race, and you know, what he has open for next year, I, um you know, plus just other things, you know, you know, about his baby, you know, just becoming a father and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, he's excited, you know, he got his third win, you know what, I'm sure he's probably tired, you know what, you know, racing, you know, after, after just having a baby and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, wonder, you know, I mean, he doesn't have to worry about where he's going, you know, because his daddy has a lot of money. So, you know, as far as what he's going to drive next year, you know, but um. Well, Sal, I'm thinking a lot of that is is pending, just like it's pending for Kyle Busch right now. Yeah. Uh, he oh, made yeah. a comment that he was, uh, uh, you know, willing 
any conversations he's having with other organizations includes Cowbush Motorsports. So until he knows where he lands, it's hard to say where anybody else lands. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know, and I don't want to get off the off the Chandler Smith subject, you know, but I I, mm-hmm. I think Kyle knows where he's going. I mean, I think they do. I think this, this is just a little yeah, game that they're playing. Does. You know what? You know what? And it's just something that Joe gives racing, you know, just wants to, you know, he always wants to be in the spotlight, you know. I'm not saying Joe gives himself, but I'm just saying the organization in itself, you know, and I think that they've lost a little bit of that you know, to to Hendrick Motorsports, you know, and then especially now with Kevin Harvick winning, you know, that makes it everybody just, of course, everybody jumped on the Harvick bandwagon. But, um, you know, I, I, I see Chandler probably maybe come back for another season at, uh, you know, with Kyle, you know, and his truck series. You know, I mean, everybody knows Kyle's going to stay with the uh, – with the TRD, TRD has done so much for him and his program, and, Car- and Kyle's done so much for for a lot of young drivers, and I think that's what everybody looks at, you know, including Chandler himself. You know, he's a he's a young driver, you know, coming up, you know, and, and he's mm-hmm. doing big things, you know, in in this series, you know. So, um, and you know, when you weigh the options, you think, man, you know, where's some of the best racing at? Yeah, Xfinity has seen a lot of good racing, but you also see what, what the truck racing has produced, you know, and it's produced some really good rates and some good results this year. So I, yes, I think I think he has a lot to look forward to, you know, as a young guy. Yep, we'll have to. Time always tells the rest of the story, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on now to the Xfinity Series. They did not race uh, this past weekend out at Richmond. Uh, the last race was the New Holland 250 out at Michigan International Speedway. Uh, and Ty Gibbs won that race, making it five wins for the season. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and cover the points report for the Xfinity Series. So. All right. The Xfinity points is um, A.J. Allmendinger leading. Second is Justin Allgaier. Third is Ty Gibbs. Fourth is Noah Gregson. Fifth is Josh Berry. And right off the top six is uh, Austin Hill. And then from there, then we go down to seventh is Brandon Jones. Eighth is Riley Herbst. Ninth is Sam Mayer. Tenth is Daniel Hamrick. And eleventh is uh, Landon Castle with, um, oh, and then the twelfth spot is Ryan C. But I think, yeah, I think this one was pretty well set, too. Um, mm-hmm. You got C and Sheldon Creed. At the bottom, and uh, C has a really good points. He's got a really good uh, adding between him and yeah, uh, Sheldon does. Creed for that for that last spot. Yeah, that last spot is uh, 499 points. Uh, Sheldon Creed's at 447 points, so uh, that's uh, really big. If we look at the points, how they would line up. Uh, with the um, points reset, uh, it would be Ty Gibbs at the top with his five wins. Uh, then it would be Noah Gregson in second place, uh, A.J. Allmendinger in third, Justin Algauer, uh in second. I'm sorry, in fourth third. place. 
Well, Ty Gibbs, Noah Grayson, and Almondinger. Ty Gibbs has the five wins. Noah Gregson, A.J. Almondinger, and Justin Algauer all have three wins. And then the next two with two wins are Josh Berry and Austin Hill. And then in seventh place with one win is Brandon Jones. Those are the drivers who all have wins. Uh, the drivers without wins are Sam Mayer, Riley Erbst, Daniel Hemrick, Ryan Sieg, and Landon Castle. Uh, with Ryan Sieg and Landon Castle uh, kind of holding on to that bottom, bottom two spots there in the Xfinity Series. Now, they still have some more racing to do in the Xfinity Series. Um, <clears throat> they did not race at Richmond, uh, and we know Ty Gibbs won that race. The next two races in August are August 20th at Watkins Glen, so they'll be racing this weekend, and then August 26th at Daytona International Speedway. But that's not going to be the end of their regular season yet. Uh, they'll have... Uh, two, three more races at Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol, September 3rd, 10th, and 16th. Bristol will be their cutoff race before their round of 12 playoffs begins at Texas Motor Speedway. So they still have five races before uh, their regular season is over. So this still could shuffle up a little bit. Yeah, it could. You know, and it's funny because you know you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, um, Kyle Busch where he's going, and I guess Ty Gibbs. I don't think he made this, but somebody put up it said, "Coach doesn't need Kyle anymore. I can take over the 18 nicely. It's a new day and age, and it's my time to shine." Mm. Ty Gibbs. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That was that a parody account? <laughs> it was. Um, I don't know. I just I was just seen it right now. And somebody mm. put you got to love the confidence, and then they put probably. But no, nah, Ty, you know Ty Gibbs didn't say that because he's not that kind. He knows he he knows he can't. Think... Yeah, yeah, he knows there's no way he can take over the eighteen. <laughs> no, no, and, and I and I know Ty. He he knows darn good and well he can't. But I just thought it was kind of funny because now towards we get towards the end of the season, you're going to start seeing different stuff like that, you know. It's just a thought I talked a little bit Exactly. Exactly. So time always tells, again, that the rest of the story, we just have to wait it out. Uh, we've been through a lot of silly seasons, so. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, we have. Uh, they always wait for the best time uh, from their point of view uh, to make these announcements. So uh, I'm I'm a patient person. I can wait for the announcement, but there's a lot of speculation uh, going on out there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's go, let's go ahead and move to the Cup Series because they did race this past weekend out at Richmond Raceway, and uh, they had quite a week out there. Uh, uh I'm trying to get to my page here. Uh, Kevin Harvick made it two in a row out at Richmond Raceway this weekend. So uh, we'll get into his stats here in just a second. Okay, the race notes. All right, here we are. It was the 65th annual Federated Auto Parts 400. And again, 46-year-old Kevin Harvick driving the number four Mobile One Ford for Tony 
Stewart and Stewart Haas Racing with crew chief Rodney Childers won his 60th victory in 778 Cup Series races. It was his second victory back-to-back and 13th top 10 finish in 2022. Uh, Also his fourth victory in 29th top 10 finish in 43 races at Richmond Raceway. Christopher Bell finished second, posting his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Richmond and his 13th top 10 finish this year. Chris Buescher uh, posted his first top 10 finish in 13 races at Richmond Raceway, and Austin Sendrick, who finished 12th, was the highest finishing rookie of that race. Uh, again, Kevin Harvick doubled up with back-to-back wins. Last week, he broke a 65-race drought, and now the driver of the number four Stewart House Racing Ford has two race-winning race, race streaks uh, going. So he was chased by runner-up Christopher Bell and third-place finisher Chris Busher uh, during the closing laps. Harvick threaded his way through traffic because he had to pass some lap traffic in Sunday's Federated Auto Parts 400 at Richmond Raceway to win by .441 seconds over Christopher Bell. Uh, It was the second win of the year, the fourth at Richmond, and the 60th of his career. Bell again finished second, followed by Busher. Then it was Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Truex Jr., Eric Almirola, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Blaney rounding out the top ten. Harvick did not take the lead until 66 laps were left in the race. Uh, After a final green flag pit stop cycled through, he regained the lead for the last 47 laps and held off a late charge by Bell to win by nearly half a second. The pole sitter, Kyle Larson, led 11 laps on the day. He finished 14th. Stage one was won by Ross Chastain. Stage two was won by Joey Logano. There were 16 lead changes among nine drivers and five cautions for 28 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 98.11 miles per hour. Your thoughts about the top ten drivers here? Yeah, it was was definitely a good race. It was good for... Stuart Haas racing as a whole it was good for NASCAR to see, you know, one of the veterans, you know, um, one of the older veterans, you know, that everybody thought was washed up, you know, mm-hmm. to get in there, you know, and get this win. I know Bell talked afterwards, you know, about, you know, if he had done this and done that right, but Kevin also said that he missed a shift, you know, that's what <laughs> that's what gave Bell the chance to um, to catch him. You know, the drivers, they never know, you know, what's going on in each car, but, um, uh, Yeah, um, it was a good run for Christopher Bell. I know Chris Buescher was uh, really, really disappointed. He really wanted that win to get into the playoffs. But it was a good run for Roush, uh, Keselowski, Roush Racing, whatever it's called now. Yeah, it was a good, you know, it was a good, you know, good run for them, you know. And, uh, you know, to see, uh, you know, I, I know now with the, you know, now they're making a big thing about the Martin Truex, um Oh, oh Martin and Ryan Blaney. And Ryan Blaney, yeah, fighting, you know, for the last, you know, for the last spot. So, um, yeah. that, that's going to be, 
That's going to be pretty, pretty interesting. You know, then, of course, Ryan you know. Ryan is in, you know, and uh, Ryan and Martin Truex is out right now. Uh, if another yeah. driver from below the cut line wins, it's going to knock Brian Blaney out. And he was, what, second or third in points. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it it is, you know what, and what's even more amazing is the um, is the uh, um, fact that, you know, we've seen it before. We, we've seen Kyle Busch win a championship and come back the next year and not even make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, yep. I mean, this could happen. You know, it I happens. mean, Martin Truex, you know, has has been part of it. You know, and he could, you know, easily, you know, not be, you know, part of the playoffs this year. You know, um, not sure what would Johnny Moore say from Bass Pro Shops if if he didn't have a Toyota, you know, inside, you know, his it, sponsor you know, be inside the um, for sure. Um, oh yeah, but was, Ty Gibbs, Ty Gibbs did have an engine issue uh, in this race. Uh, that took him out of the race on lap 180. Eric Jones uh, was involved in an accident that took him out on lap 240. And several other drivers uh, finished the race laps down, uh, still running. But uh, those uh, two drivers had uh, specific things that took them out early. I was disappointed for Eric yeah. Jones because he had such a good run going. Well, Ty Gibbs, too, for that matter, but. Yeah, so now it's now it's getting to the point of um now it's getting to the thing of uh you know what you know, of course, you know, we're almost at the at the cutoff. And uh mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be interesting to see who gets in. Um and then of course, you know how you you think of the seriousness of the concussion with Kurt Bush and you think of other drivers that have taken harder hits. You know, and they well, it's an accumulation effect, though, Sal, in, in the case with yeah. Kurt Busch. It's a cumulative effect very similar to what happened with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. It wasn't just the one wreck. It was the accumulation of several uh, incidents that had happened. So, yeah, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. kept racing even though he was dizzy and couldn't see, yeah, you know what, and, you know. He was out for a while, know, too. Yeah, but he he admitted he admitted after when he after he retired he said that he goes there's a lot of goes, I shouldn't have done a lot of racing as much as I was doing he goes I should have sat down you know sat out you know and you know and let the concussion you know that it heal he goes but when you're a race car driver he goes you know you don't think about things like that Kurt Busch yeah, took the other I think know, he's he, taking the uh, smart route oh yeah just the same thing with uh, Carl Edwards. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl Edwards did the same thing, you know, but it's, it's different, too. His wife is a neurosurgeon, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, she's seen, she's seen the signs. She lives up to 24 hours a day, so she's seen the signs right away that he was, you know, he had no business back out there on the track. Mm-hmm. But, you know, exactly right. You know, it, it, it's got to be hard because Kurt Busch wants to go out in his own way. He doesn't want to go out, you know, because, you know, he has a concussion and can't, you know. I, I don't know how many more years he feels he has left to drive. You know, this might be it. You know, I mean, nobody knows. He just might not ever get they, get back behind the wheel again. Exactly. You know, uh, that's what we're waiting hours. to hear, what the rest of that story is, too, because um, we still don't know about this week if he'll be back for Watkins Glen, but I'm suspecting 
that uh, based on what he said last week that he's still not going to be ready yet. Uh, just two more races left in the regular season here for the Cup Series. Watkins Glen International that will take place this weekend, August the 21st, and then Daytona International Speedway, uh, the final race of the regular season for the Cup Series. So these two races I think are going to be pretty intense, especially for a couple of drivers. Uh, we mentioned them, Martin Truex Jr. and Ryan Blaney. Uh, they want to go out there and win at Watkins Glen because they don't want to leave their fate up to Daytona International Speedway. Exactly. You know what? And and and, and even if they both got a win, you know, then they're going mm-hmm. to have to go to the. It's going to it's going to go back to the point. So this might this could possibly be the first season that we actually have sixteen winners. Yep. You know, you know, going going into the playoffs. I mean, it could possibly it, it could happen. It could happen is exactly right. Let's go ahead and cover uh, the points report. Okay, so um, two race, two races remaining until the playoffs. We have um, Chase Elliott on on the standings from Richmond. We got uh, Chase Elliott, <coughs> excuse me, who's um, who's leading the points. Second is Ross Chastain. Third is Joey Logano. Fourth is Kevin Harvick with and. And I'm reading from Jayski, you know, it's going by the wind. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll do the NASCAR yeah. point when you're done. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, so we're going by the winds. Kevin Harvick jumped up in the fourth spot with two wins. Uh, William Byron has his two wins. Danny Hamlin has his two wins. And Tyler Reddick has his two wins. And then from there, then we go to eighth, which is Kyle Larson with his one win. Christopher Bell with his one win. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Kyle Busch with his one win. Alex Bowman. Daniel Suarez, Chase Briscoe, 13th, Austin Sidrick, 14th, Kurt Busch, 15th, and then like like uh, Sharon said, then on 16th on the bubble is Ryan Blaney, and behind Ryan Blaney is uh, Martin Truex Jr. That's um, uh, 26. Looks like he's 26 points behind. Yeah, he's 26 points behind um, Ryan Blaney. So Martin Truex has almost put himself in a in a must-win situation in order to make it. Oh yeah. Barring that, barring that we don't have another somebody else win. I mean, you know, like I said, nobody expected Harvard to win one, more or less win two. You know, and and this would have just really put a uh, a whirlwind at the bottom. You know, uh, <clears throat> so um, so that's where we are with the with the driver points as far as um, left as far as the left needs. Yeah. Uh, Chase Elliott definitely has that lead. Ryan Blaney is actually second in points, but because of uh, the way this is uh, laying out, because he has a zero wins, <laughs> it puts him down the list uh, to fifth. Uh, his play playoff points, I think, oh, no, plus the minus 26. Yeah, the way they've got this listed, it's Chase Elliott, Ross Chastain, and Joy Logano in third. Kyle Larson uh, is listed fourth with the reset points. Then it's Ryan Blaney. Um, then you go to William Byron, Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick really moved himself with those two wins. <laughs> Denny Hamlin, Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell. Then it's Kyle Busch. Um, they've got Chase Briscoe up here oh, because he's got a win. 
uh, Kurt Busch, Daniel Suarez, Austin Sindrickton, Austin Alex Bowman. Martin Truex is below that cut line, uh, and he's got uh, he's got 24 points to make up. That's going to be tough to do in two races unless he can get a win. So uh, he really needs to go after that win at Watkins Glen, and. Uh, but he can only do what his car is capable of doing, too. And a lot of times these drivers do get more out of their cars than what their cars have to give. Uh, but uh, he's going to have to really uh, push the envelope, if you will, at Watkins Glen, I think, to get in. Daytona and the super speedways are not always uh, the best tracks for him and his team. Yes, that's true. So it's going to be... It's going to be exciting to see who actually who actually makes it, who is actually in, and who is and who is going to be out. I mean, yep. You know, everybody expects there's the drivers that the fans just automatically have them in the playoffs. Before the season starts, they're automatically in. And Martin Truex is one of those drivers. He's automatically in, and he's not automatically in. He's, he's a, technically he's out. But I he's mean, out right now. You know, yeah, he's out right now. But, I mean, you have these drivers, you know, like you can go up and down the list. Like Danny Hamlin went a long time without a win, you know, and, and he was way low on the he was way low on the pole, Yeah. you know, way down there. I mean, what happens if Brad Kozlowski all of a sudden wakes up at, a, at um, Daytona and picks up a win? You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's some drivers That's out. That's the thing that, that can, with this. Yeah. Next-gen car, Sal, the parity uh, is so good that these next – you don't know who's going to win this next race or the next race. Exactly. And uh, that's what makes it so exciting. And I think that's what makes people want to tune in to find out who's going to be the next race winner. Uh, we've seen 15 different winners this year. It's been a long time since we've seen that. And like you said earlier, there's a chance we're going to be see 16 different winners and possibly even 17 different winners. So when you think about Daytona, anybody uh, could win at Daytona. So uh, it's going to be interesting these next two races and and, uh, what happens when we get into the playoffs. I can't wait uh, to see both of the next two races for sure. You know, and Ryan Blaney is – Okay. And real quick, Ryan Blaney is tough. He's tough on the the, um, restrictor pay tracks. Yes, he is. On the road course and restrictor plate. Yeah, so, I mean, these next two races, they fit his style perfect. They do. Now, I know we're uh, coming up to the end of our time here. I know uh, uh, you're going to be leaving. You mentioned you're going to be at Evergreen Speedway this weekend uh, for the ARCA West race. So uh, that's pretty exciting. I'm happy for you. I hope you uh, have safe travels. Yeah, so do I. I hope I can. I hope I get one of those. I hope I get the winner, you know, to come on the show. It's been hard lately. I don't know. They, it's, it's a tra- travel day is Sunday. This should be pretty easy, because everybody's travel day is not Sunday. So, yeah. you know, with the race being on Saturday, so I'm hoping to get. I'm hoping to get whoever the winner is. Involved with iRacing or not? A lot of these drivers are so involved with iRacing. Uh, sometimes it's hard to get them on the show. But see yes, if you can exactly. get our race winner. That would be. Fantastic.
Okay, Sal, thanks for all that you do. We appreciate you. Okay, thanks, and you guys have a good show, and uh, we'll talk to everybody uh, next Monday. Okie doke. <laughs> Take care now. Okay. All right. Okay, Bye-bye. good night. Okay, goodbye. All right. Uh, it is 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And, Jay, I'm thinking I might have to send a couple reminders out because I think people uh, didn't get the uh, time change. Yeah, I mentioned that when you talked to me earlier. I, I wouldn't have noticed it either, so uh, they're not alone. I just got that reminder from you because I talked to you this morning. Okay. Well, I'm going to send a reminder. Uh, who do you want to send a reminder to, Mike or Andy? I'll send it to the other one. Uh, get Andy because I think Mike was active on here, so I'll see if I can catch Mike. Okay. All right, we're sending our reminders uh, to these guys uh, that are hot topics. Uh, uh, sound off is at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, tonight. Uh, so by the time it was, I get done. It was a minute ago anyway. Yeah. Okay, I've got Andy's message sent. I don't see anybody else right. on yet. Uh, you and I might have to carry it for the first half hour here if we can't uh, get the reminder. Okay, here we go. I think that's Andy right here. Andy, is that you? Yeah, hey, how's it going? It's going great. I'm so glad you're able to make it at 9.30 tonight. Um, and we're sending a message to Mike uh, just to remind him that it's 9.30. Did you catch it this morning on the uh, Teams app? Yeah, I did. I saw it this morning. I called in maybe a minute or so late, but yeah, I, I did see that it was 9.30. Okay, well, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here, and also with us tonight is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, I'm glad Jay got me. I was, uh, I was expecting the usual 10 o'clock Eastern time, and I was not paying attention to realize we moved it up 30 tonight. Yeah, I, I was a little worried about that. I just sent a reminder to Andy, too, but he said he saw it. Uh, and I know Mike, uh, Jay didn't see it this morning either, but uh, I'm glad we're all here. We're ready for our next right. uh, Hot Topic Sound Off segment here. That looks bad on the Air Force guys, Mike, because you and I were the ones that didn't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know... I- I'm just glad I'm here right now. I'm, I'm, I'm still not 100%. I'm at like 80, 85, which is good enough to do the radio, so I'm glad to be here talking to you all. Okay. Well, we're glad to have you here, Mike. Why don't you start us off with the hot topics? Uh, well, start us off, first of all, uh, with why you're, you're uh, in the condition that you're in. <laughs> Oh, I think I just had a case of the COVID last week. It's not a big deal. Uh, you know, just kind of just general rundown and muscle aches and just generally feeling lousy. Oh, so, I thought you were talking about your racing thing. Oh, that. Yeah, well, yeah, I went racing the, on uh, on Saturday. And, yeah, I'm still under the weather. But, I, you know, nothing makes you feel better than going racing. And then uh, my car blew an oil line. Some of the oil caught on fire. So the car had a little bit of fire, but not a lot. It's fine. And then I got made fun of by my racing buddies, which is just that's, that's how it goes. Whenever one of us finds misfortune, the rest of us 
are quick to poke fun at them. I've got my kicks in on them plenty of times, and it was <clears throat> it was my turn, and I got my kicks. So now I've got to fix the car and get it back out racing again, and that's the fun part of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, what's our first hot topic, Mike? Well, this is all rumor and speculation and – I don't want to say unreliable sources, but they're not our usual Adam Stern, Bob Pockers type sources. But word on the street is uh, after next year, Texas Motor Speedway is going to be going through a major reconstruction, renovation, reconfiguration process. And there's been very little detail and no confirmed word on it, but it's an interesting thing to hear, that's for sure. Yeah, I've seen a lot more on social media about it uh, than I had this morning. It seems like it's been all the buzz on, on social media today. Andy, your thoughts about a reconfiguration at uh, Texas Motor Speedway? I mean, reconfiguration or furthermore bulldozing would be the proper thing to do to Texas. <laughs> I hate to say it, but they quite bluntly have not produced good racing in recent times, and it's unfortunate but I think it is time for them to look at doing something different with that racetrack, whether it be completely redoing the track or reconfiguring the existing mile-and-a-half configuration. I don't know what they need to do, but they need to do something. So I hope this is a rumor that comes to fruition because they, they just have not produced very good racing in recent times, and it's time to do something different. So let's hope this happens. I think this would be a really good thing for the future of the racetrack, because if things continue on the present course, you know, they may run the risk of losing dates uh, in the, in the future. So um, something needs to change there. And, and I hope that this is, this happens because it would be hopefully a, a good step in the right direction to return good racing to Texas motor speedway. Okay. Jay, your thoughts. Are you on mute, Jay? Let's see if Jay – nope, it looks like he's still here. <laughs> okay, I'm okay, not that sure mute button sticking. No, I got, I got oh, there it. it is. That mute button okay. is sticking. Um, I've seen a lot of the talk about it, and I know we've talked about it on here, and we have differing opinions when it comes to Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, the one thing is I hope that the higher-up executives uh, – are making a wise and smart decision, looking long-term and not knee-jerk reaction to, to something. And I say that as them having the intelligence, we can't even catch what time the show's at, so I, I don't want to put any stock in our sources. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I understand the viewpoint that Texas needs to do something different, but we've only had uh, one race there so far with the new car, which has changed a lot of things. So I just don't want to see them go too bold. I like the fact that they're looking at new things. We saw what happened with Atlanta. You know, Mike's article talked about it. Definitely seemed to be an improvement. Although drivers liked it the old way, the overall racing, I think, was indeed better. The other aspect I look at, though, and we've gone through this from short tracks to night racing to mile and a half to day racing to now road course, Fans want something, and then when they get it, they don't want it anymore. They want something different. So I just be leery about that. Um, if you really feel improvement needs to be made, 
California is another one. I the two mile track there I think was okay. I like short tracks, so if they go to the short track now, which has been in production for two years, I'm okay with it. But I don't think we need to see every track start bulldozing and reconfiguring. Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. It it is speculation right now because we have not had anything official uh, from Texas Motor Speedway or NASCAR or SMI, for that matter, that that uh, reconfiguration is going to take place. Uh, but there there has been a lot of rumors around it. I know Pete Pistone uh, said if Texas reconfigures to an Atlanta another Atlanta Super Speedway hybrid, as rumored, or a short track. Uh, that would leave just four true 1.5-mile tracks on the Cup schedule. Vegas, Kansas, Charlotte, and Homestead, hosting six races five years ago, uh, hosting six races. Now, five years ago, there were 11 races held on 1.5-mile tracks. So I, I agree with you. I hope they don't, uh, like Jay said, knee-jerk reaction and either go to the short track or or the super speedway, I hope they just reconfigure it so that it's a racier Texas Motor Speedway um, and that we don't get into the business here of eliminating the 1.5-mile tracks because I do think that we've had some really good racing at some of the 1.5-mile tracks. Unfortunately, one of the tracks where I think we had some of the best racing was at Chicagoland Speedway, and they closed it down. And that's going to get bulldozed down uh, for industrial. So, <clears throat> I, I uh, uh, again, we'll have to wait to see what happens with the rest of the story here. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think it is interesting that they are going to bulldoze it. I agree with Andy. They need to do something, um, and they need to reconfigure it to make it a better racing product, and I think that would be their overall intent. What they do to make it a better racing product, uh, I think the big speculation is that they're going to try to duplicate what they did at Atlanta, and I'm hoping that they don't do that uh, because I think we've got enough super speedways. I, I, I just hope we don't go the route of having so many super speedways uh, that that doesn't have the novelty that it has now. Uh, and it's too many wild card races on the schedule. I would like to see them keep it a 1.5 mile track and just reconfigure it in a way that's going to make it a better racing product. So that's my vote. Mike, what are your thoughts? I think Andy really nailed it. When they reconfigured Texas Motor Speedway for the 2017 season, they destroyed that place. It used to be not maybe the best track on the schedule, but it used to hold its own. They used to have some fairly decent races at the old Texas Motor Speedway, the configuration they had from when it opened in the mid-'90s until the reconfiguration in 2017. But ever since they reconfigured it, I'm not an engineer. I don't know specifically what they did and why it ruined the racing there, but, man, there are several different iterations of horsepower and aerodynamic packages in the Gen 6 car, uh, and now we, have, we haven't had a points-paying Gen 7 race there, but the All-Star race was terrible there. So they did something that just broke Texas Motor Speedway. So I'm, I'm 100% with you all. They need to do something to reconfigure it. Now, I do agree with you, Sharon. What I hope they don't do 
is try and make another 1.5-mile super speedway like they did to Atlanta. Atlanta's fun. It's entertaining. But it's right there on that really fine line between legitimate sports and sports entertainment. And if we go too much further down that road, NASCAR already has just a little bit too much of a reputation of WWE on wheels. So if they go even further in that direction with another entertainment-based race, which is really what Atlanta has become, is it's, it's there for entertainment purposes more so than quality, legitimate racing. If we go and inject another track in the form of Texas Motor Speedway in there, I think it delegitimizes the sport as a whole because, like you said, you're continuing to dilute the pool of races that are available by injecting these spectacle races in there that, you know, when somebody wins at Daytona or Talladega or now Atlanta – it's, it's obviously it's still a win. You know, it goes in the record book. There's no caveats or anything, but you know, it, it, there almost is an unspoken caveat where you're not really a winner in the NASCAR Cup Series until you've won something other than a plate race because there's such a wild card. And I don't want to say they're not legitimate because they are, but there's there's this air of legitimacy that exists at tracks that are not these restrictor plate style tracks. So converting Texas Motor Speedway into another plate track, I think this is a step in the wrong direction. I also don't think they need to make it into a short track. We've got, I don't want to say enough of those. We've, short tracks are somewhat underrepresented, especially given the roots of the sport and the, the representation of sport tra- uh, short tracks within there. But we've got quite a few, and if they convert Auto Club into a short track, like it's looking like they're going to, we're going to have another one. I think we've, we've got sufficient short tracks. I'm with you, Sharon. I think whatever configuration they do, they need to make Texas Motor Speedway its own thing. Be a good one-and-a-half mile or whatever some intermediate distance that they settle on if it doesn't end up being a one-and-a-half. Make it its own good racetrack. It doesn't need to follow some established gimmick or formula or template. They've got all the space in the world. It sounds like they've got some fairly deep pockets so that they can make something good, and I really hope they're able to do so. Okay. Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I think, you know, I think those are some really good points. And, you know, I I would hope that whatever Texas does in the future, that it will produce good racing. I think that as a race fan, that's all we really care about. And, I mean, I tend to look at Homestead as a a prime example of a a mile-and-a-half track that produces really good racing, um, you know, so maybe they maybe they look at configuring Texas in a similar fashion, or maybe they make the track length a little bit different, make it unique, make it, you know, produce a good racing product. Certainly, the technology and the um, the data is there that will allow them to go out and, and build something that that would produce better racing. I'm not sure what happened, you know, when they reconfigured this track several years ago, but it just didn't pan out, and, and mistakes are made, you know, right? You know, it happens. And unfortunately, the current uh, configuration of Texas Motor Speedway is just a mistake that they can fix if they want the future of this racetrack to get better. I mean, there are, as I said, there's prime examples of of good mile-and-a-half tracks out there, um, you know, or maybe they change it into some other configuration. I do agree with both you, Sharon, and Mike, that um, to turn this into yet another 
uh, gimmicky super speedway race is not the right answer. I hope they do not go in that direction. Um, we don't need more of that. I think that we've got enough, probably too many at this point on the schedule. So um, there's things that can be done, and, and certainly I'll, I'll be curious to see what they do because, you know, obviously there's a lot that can happen with a reconfiguration, but um, I'm hopeful that whatever they do, it, it, it allows us to talk about good racing and, and not what we've been talking about uh, in recent times. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, and part of that would be to determine that, like I said, would be how the Gen 7, the new car, runs on that track. I know we talked about the All-Star, and we each have our opinions on that. Um, it can always improve, but give it a chance. Uh, and I think about when we're going towards what you're calling the hybrids, that's how we got into the jam we're in with the mile and a half. Uh, once one looked successful, they did about 50 of them. Um, <laughs> using Mike's over-exaggeration, but oversaturated it. Same with night racing. Same with right now, we're borderline on that with the road courses. Now, what kind of stuns me, and Sharon mentioned Chicagoland Speedway. Road America is another one. They wanted the, the road course. They got it with Road America. Some great racing, in my opinion. I love that track. And they took that one away because people were screaming for a street race. So you just got to be careful of that and not going down that same road of, oh, they like this, let's let's bombard them, and all of a sudden that, that desire isn't there anymore. They've changed their mind. So I just hope they're careful about it. And I know they, they always are. They, they definitely go through a process. Um, can the racing be improved at Texas? Most certainly. Do I know how to go about making that happen? I do not, so <laughs> I'll leave it up to somebody else. Yeah, I'm with you there, Jay. I don't know what it takes, but um, I do hope uh, that, to your point, I do hope that they take the next-gen car into consideration when they reconfigure that track uh, because uh, I think that they're, we've seen a lot of good things from this car, uh, there's still some shortcomings that I know they're working on, and, and they'll make the improvements uh, with some of the shortcomings that we've seen throughout the year. But uh, I, they need to take this next-gen car into consideration when they look at the reconfiguration of that Texas Motor Speedway track. Uh, we need a track that those cars are going to race well on, and uh, I'm sure there's a people a lot smarter than I am uh, that know how to do that. So I'll leave it up to them. Mike, you get the final word. Well, you talk about a Gen 7 car and putting on good races at mile and a half. Well, the Gen 7 car really already has delivered on mile and a half. So look at some of the races that we've had at places like Kansas, Las Vegas, uh, Michigan. was It was decent. Richmond yesterday was better than the spring Richmond race. So there's definitely some good to be had with the Gen 7 car. Was the all-star race an aberration, and maybe we see a better Texas race coming up here in the playoffs with the Gen 7 car? As a race fan, I hope. So I hate seeing turds of races, but unfortunately, every time we see Texas Motor Speedway coming up on the schedule, recently it's just been a collective groan from the fan base. So maybe they, they found something this season uh, that can help prevent the, the disaster that was the all-star race, the all-snore race, if you will, and we get a good Texas Motor Speedway race coming up here in a couple months, 
But either way, if they are going to reconfigure this Texas voter speaker, remember, this is all speculation. We are, we are deep in speculation territory here. There has not been any sort of official announcement or confirmation from anybody who's in the position to know. So this is all just speculation tempered with some wishful thinking because we're not the only people who are wishing for some improvement at Texas Motor Speedway. But there's definitely some potential to be had here. The Gen 7 car races really, really well on mile and a half. So I can't wait to see this car at Homestead. That's going to be a banger. And hopefully they're able to make something out of Texas Motor Speedway either with the Gen 7 car on the current Speedway configuration or in a reconfigured, reinvigorated Texas Motor Speedway that gives the fans the racing that they want to see at this facility. Exactly. Okay, Andy, you get the next top topic. What's it going to be? And this one actually uh, was one we touched upon in our last show a few days ago uh, pertaining to Kurt Busch. He'll be out yet another race. Um, or he was out at Richmond this past weekend. I guess we don't yet know about Watkins Glen, but obviously very concerning to have missed several races now and uh, certainly curious what you think about that one. Okay, yeah, we did push that one to Monday. So, Jay, your thoughts about this? Well, there's a lot of implications here that we don't have the answers to, to include Kurt Busch himself. We've seen it. He is working very hard. He is going through some uh, very strenuous protocol um, to make sure he's in that 100% condition. Uh, you know, we can we can show up as Mike said to to race on our own or, or do a radio show at 85%. When you're a NASCAR Cup driver, you got to be 100% all the time. So I like that. As far as this year, uh, we've seen it come really close to him possibly being eliminated along with Ryan Blaney uh, based on victories. We'd have to have two, two more new winners, but it could happen where he gets bumped out of the playoffs because of this, even with his victories. But I don't, I'm, I'm glad to see he's not letting that um, push him to come back prior to being ready. The other implication is he has already kind of hinted at retirement, possibly after the 2023 season, which we know now Bubba Wallace has signed long-term and they have signed Tyler Reddick. So I think we are seeing the end of Kurt Busch's NASCAR full-time career. Don't know that. We'll have to wait and see. But I think this is going to play into it. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I really hate to see Kurt Busch go out like this. Um, Kurt Busch is kind of a great redemption story in, in NASCAR. They remember back in the early 2000s, Kurt was, he was terrible. I mean, just, uh, he was, the, the, when I say terrible, I don't mean driving. He was phenomenal at driving race cars. But man, he wore the black hat as the bad guy of the NASCAR Cup Series for a while. And to the point where he caused himself some serious career damage with his attitude and the way he carried himself on and off the racetrack, he really short-circuited his career. And kind of his redemption to being the elder statesman that he is today is one of the really good feel-good stories in NASCAR. And I really hate to see – I don't want to write the, the obituary for his career yet because obviously he, he could come back any time. But at the same time, it, it's hard to not feel like this is coming up on being the end for Kirk Bush, which is really unfortunate. 
I really hope he's able to come back by the playoffs. At this point, I don't expect him to come back before. They haven't announced one way or the other if he's racing this weekend at Watkins Glen, but the two races remaining, Watkins Glen and Daytona, if I'm sitting on a concussion that I'm trying to get over, those are two places I really, really don't want to go racing. Now, Watkins Glen, you've got uh, left and right and heavy braking and acceleration G-forces all day long. And, oh, by the way, there's some gnarly crashes at Watkins Glen. And then, obviously, we know Daytona is well-known for some gnarly crashes. And, really, Kurt has nothing to gain at this point by coming back for those two races. If he tries to come back, he's not going to earn enough points to get himself ahead of any of the other drivers who are sitting on one win. It's almost impossible for him to pass a guy like uh, Austin Sindrick or – uh, I think Chase Briscoe are the next two in regular season points ahead of him. I think the next closest is like 40. It's almost impossible that he's going to gain 40 points on one of those guys over the next two weeks. So it's better that he probably take the next two weeks off, fully recuperate, and hopefully come back in Darlington for the first playoff race, back fully recovered and ready to go. And I think that's probably going to be the best move for Kirk Bush. As far as next year, I hope it's not like Dale Jr. where he had the concussion season and then he came back for kind of a farewell tour and was, unfortunately, it was an afterthought. He really was not competitive at all. So, Kurt Busch is in the playoffs this year. I hope he comes back and has a chance to run and has one more really solid, good competitive season left in him, and I'll be pulling for him. Yeah, I think that's the value to him taking the time that he's taking to take care of himself before coming back. Uh, I agree. I don't really anticipate that he's going to be back at Watkins Glen or Daytona for all the reasons that Mike mentioned. Uh, they're not the best choices for somebody who's suffering the kind of injury that he's had uh, to be back into racing. Uh, but you got to wonder how it's going to affect his racing ability uh, from here on out. Uh, I would hate to see him come back and be a lame duck. However, I will say that I do think that Kurt Busch has a lot to offer uh, to this sport. Every organization that he has been with, he has made that organization better. And uh, the team that he's with now is no exception to that. So uh, if he could you know, even stay on as an advisor uh, to finish out his career, I think that would be a good thing for Kirk. Uh, if, you know, and who knows what he might do uh, in, in lieu of uh, the injury that he has. <clears throat> I, I applaud him for not coming back too soon. I think it's wise to take the time that he's taking. And I, I really wish him the very, very best because, as you said, Mike, uh, he has gone uh, <laughs> the gambit uh, from when he first came into this sport as a youngster, uh, kind of uh, a little bit cocky and, and full of himself to where he is now. It's a, it's a totally different picture. He's matured, uh, and, and he does have so much to offer because he does have a lot of talent behind the wheel. Uh, but, uh, I, I, um, I, I just wonder if he's going to make it back and be competitive. That would be my concern. I, I just have a feeling you mentioned, uh, it happened with, uh, Dale Earnhardt. Uh, maybe Dale came back too soon and maybe that's why he wasn't competitive. Uh, 
maybe with uh, Kurt taking the time that he's taking, it will help him be a little bit more competitive. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I just suspect uh, that this was a serious injury, and the length of time that he's been out is a clear indication of that. And um, I, I think this could be the writing on the wall for, for Kurt Busch. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, I think, I do think, and I say this very strongly, that he is, still has a lot he can offer to this sport. Andy, what is your thought? Yeah, I mean, obviously you hate seeing Kurt miss these races, but it's for the right reason in, in terms of getting better. Um, I hope that he's able to come back and make a playoff run. It would be very disappointing if he can't. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, I, I also hope that he can return for at least one more season to have a, a proper farewell season, especially if he, for whatever reason, cannot come back and, and race for a championship this year. But, you know, above all else, you know, he has to focus on his health, and that's exactly what he's doing. Um, I tend to agree it would be surprising to see uh, him come back and run, you know, Watkins Glen in Daytona. There's really no reason to. Um, I, I think, in, you know, for, for his long-term health, it, those are two precarious races in terms of getting involved in another accident that could jeopardize the remainder of his season and career. So um, hopefully we see him come back for the 10 races in the playoffs. And, and if we can't, then I hope that he can make it back for at least one more full-time season. I think he's earned the right to, to have a farewell season, if you will, if that in fact is next year. So we'll see what happens, but um, it is concerning when you look at the Pocono crash, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that it would cause him to be out for several weeks, but I, you know, we've talked about this on previous shows, you know, multiple injuries and repeated concussions, you know, can lead to the scenario that he was put in where what we thought was a minor accident led to him, you know, suffering an injury that took him out of the seat for a while. So, I guess the big thing is he's doing what it takes to get better, and, and hopefully we see him back, um, you know, when the time is right, and uh, hopefully that's this year, but if not, hopefully next year for the full season. Okay, Jay. Well, i, I got to disagree with you guys here a little bit. First off, we definitely want him back at 100%, but if he hits 100% prior to this weekend at Watkins Glen or Daytona, understand the the possibility is maybe a little higher when it comes to those tracks but we're talking about the wreck that happened at Pocono uh being involved or being in a race car is a risk you know no matter where you're racing what you're racing so you're saying there's nothing to be gained and I, I disagree with that if he is coming back to run for the championship that is two races two victories that he could possibly get and put himself in a better playoff points position when they recede. So I think that if he is 100%, he does come back at Watkins Glen. And again, the only way you know is to be, you know, no matter what kind of, we talk about this with everything, no matter what kind of simulation, other outside tests you do, the true determining factor is being behind the wheel of a race car. So if, again, the intent is to go after the championship, you want to be in the car seeing, make sure you're 100% now. You know, you do all these other tests, say you're 100%. Getting in the car is the final test. You want that to be the first few races of the playoffs. 
or if you have the opportunity, Watkins Glen or Daytona, that would tell you that. Mike, your follow-up. Well, Jay brings up a good point about, yeah, don't leave two potential victories on the table. But it's, it comes down to that risk versus reward thing, right? So if he's back at 100% and he feels up to racing this weekend, sure, take a shot at it. But it's a risk, like I said, risk versus reward. Is it worth risking a further injury and probably complete elimination from the playoffs? Because if he, if he re-aggravates that concussion, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to say his likelihood of getting cleared again given his lengthy recovery that he's just had, is probably going to be next to nothing. Um, so is it worth risking a potential playoff run to come back and take two, to be honest, unlikely shots at a win? The 45 car has been in good hands. Ty Gibbs has been doing extremely well, circumstances, all circumstances considered. Uh, he had a mechanical problem yesterday but was running in the top 15, almost into the top 10 for a little while there, uh, and he's doing very, very well in the 45. And I think that team is in good hands with Ty Gibbs behind the wheel until Kurt Busch is ready to come back and take the car back. So, yes, I understand not wanting to leave those potential playoff points on the table. However, the bigger picture is don't risk your playoffs as a whole for a unlikely shot at getting those five playoff points because those are really the only thing he has to gain. Regular season points are irrelevant to him at this point. The only thing to potentially gain is playoff points, and the risk versus reward of getting them, at least in my opinion, just isn't there. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that, and Andy said it. This is this was not an injury that just happened at Pocono. This was an accumulative effect of several different incidents that happened, uh, and, and Pocono is just a straw. Uh, so he, he, he really needs to weigh that risk versus reward um, because if he gets another hit uh, in any way, shape, or form, it doesn't even have to be that big of a hit. Uh, if he gets another hit at uh, one of these next two racetracks, it could really uh, seriously uh, jeopardize the rest of his season. So, yeah, it would be nice to see Kurt Busch get back in the car and get a win, uh, but I don't know how likely that is, given the circumstances right now. Um, I, I I do think that Kurt Busch had – I think it's a shame because Kurt Busch had a really good season uh, going for him. Uh, he had its ups and downs, uh, but he – was able to get some wins this year, and, and uh, he's done a lot there uh, in the 45. So I I just think it's uh, too much of a risk to bring him back too soon. Now, if the doctors say he's ready and he's 100% and he's ready to come back, that's a different story. But I just think that they really need to, to weigh that out, considering the demands uh, that both of these next two tracks are going to have on the driver and the risk of uh, of uh, potentially having another injury. So we'll just see what happens and what the doctors say. Andy? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, the big thing, two big things, hopefully he gets better soon. That's what matters most. And secondly, hopefully mm-hmm. he can get back in time to, to make a championship run. And if not, then hopefully next year he'll be back full time. 
Okay. Uh, Jay, you get to bring up our next topic. Well, this was also one, uh, I think, Sharon, you put it up after our show the other night. I know I had seen it. Let me find where it is. Um, the number of DNFs being up over this year, Dr. DeAndra, uh, DNFs up 55% in 2022 from uh, NBC Sports. Okay. Mike, you get the first uh, comment on this one. Well, we've talked about this uh, repeatedly over the season. There's definitely a lot more crashes this year, uh, both in terms of quantifiably um, – I forget what the number was, but it's in, in line up 50%-ish, I think, in terms of overall on-track incidents. So it kind of stands to reason that DNS would follow that as well. Um, and it's, it's interesting because the Gen 7 car has a right, rightfully earned a reputation of being pretty tough. It can take a beating, but – you can only crash them so much and and you're going to have to park the thing. And it sounds like that the numbers are saying that despite the car being as tough as it is, guys are wrecking them and and they have to park them. So not a surprise at all. I think that's part of the, there's, there's a few factors involved here. One is a new car uh, kind of universal sentiment is the gen seven car is more difficult to drive. A more difficult to drive car is inevitably going to lead to mistakes. Mistakes will inevitably lead to crashes. Um, and the other end of that, I think is just the overall hyper aggressive way that guys have been racing this year has also contributed to the number of crashes that we've seen. Guys are not giving an inch on the racetrack. And sometimes when you don't give an inch, you get Ross Chastain and you end up in the fence. And that's just how things have gone this year. And apparently, DNFs are up 50% because of it. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, and I think that it's not a surprise from the standpoint, too, of it's a new car. It's It's been described as being more difficult to drive. And I think that that's led to an increase in incidents and cautions. And it's led to more accidents. Um, and we've seen some vulnerability with some of the parts in the car that has led to DNF. So um, it, it doesn't really surprise me too much, and I think that's something that the fans have been kind of looking for is, you know, you know, we got away from seeing a lot of on-track incidents with the old cup cars, especially the last couple, three years. We, we saw a drastic decrease in spins and, and accidents and cautions and it's not that we want to see a wreck fest each week but you know cup series cars are supposed to be difficult to drive and we kind of got away from that um with the the high downforce junk that they had the last couple three years so you know what's been refreshing is the fact that these newer cars are more difficult to drive it has led to an increase in in incidents and, and spins cautions whatever the case may be and as a result we've seen um, higher DNFs this year. So um, not a huge surprise. I think that's what um, they were going for when they designed this new car. And, um, you know, I'm, you'll probably see similar results next year, um, maybe even lesser so than this year from the standpoint of teams figuring out how to, to race the car more effectively without having problems. But I think this year there's certainly been growing pains because of the fact the car's new. So, um yeah, you know, obviously not. I don't think it's a big surprise, and, you know, I'm sure that that trend will continue throughout the rest of the year. 
Yeah, if you look at the graph that they put up on this article, they talk about the start in parked cars in the mid-2000s. Uh, 2012, there were 247 DNFs, but the author here estimates that about 75 of those were start in parked cars. So that kind of complicates a little bit of what this graph is showing us. Uh, that was the gen, uh, that was the cars of tomorrow. Uh, and then they brought in the uh, Gen 6 car, and they kind of went down a little bit. They peaked again maybe just slightly up. They went down, and then it peaked up again in 2017. Um, and this year it's at 151 starting parks after last year, which is 97, and the year before, 2020, at 121. Um I, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head. Uh, we've got a new car, the next-gen car that these guys are all trying to get used to, and the hyper, I think, how did you put it, Mike, hyper-aggressiveness uh, that we've seen on the track. It has been more aggressive racing than <clears throat> we've seen it progressively get worse. This year is probably as worse as I've ever seen it. Um it is hyper-aggressive driving that we're seeing on the track, and that certainly is contributing to the uh, higher number that we're seeing here. So in addition to the learning curve, you've got drivers that are driving so much more aggressively on the track. They're not given an inch, uh, and and they're taking each other out in order to get wins, and that wrecks cars and creates DNFs. So... You know, NASCAR uh, doesn't seem to want to do anything about that at this point. We'll see if they make any changes during the off season. But uh, as far as the learning curve on the new car, next year I anticipate it will be a little bit better. But, uh, again, a lot of that's going to be dependent upon uh, whether or not these drivers get a different attitude about how they race each other on the track. Jay? Well, and here's the side that I want to jump in on this uh, when when you put it up, Sharon. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is per driver uh, that's wrecking out or DNF, but it also builds interest. And this was, I, I want to say, throughout the early part of the year. It's come up several times on Dave Moody's Sirius XM uh, Speedway on NASCAR MRN Radio that if you look back in the day, as some fans call in and say they liked racing back in the day, it was man versus machine. Could the machine hold up? When you talk about engines, we haven't seen engines expire like we used to or just parts failures like we used to. And not that you want to see that on a weekly basis, but it does add intrigue. If the top guy has a failure, that brings the, you know, the competition up closer. Now, NASCAR has gone the route of make it the competition closer by providing a, the Gen 7 car and everybody being on a level playing field, but this still adds that. And I've, over the past couple of weeks, look at Kyle Busch. We know he's a top driver. We know he's in a top ride. He's had some DNFs, uh, being the one that got Chastain this weekend, if you will. Um, so that adds to it. The other factor, and I think everybody mentioned it, uh, and it's, I think it's going to continue to increase. Uh, we've seen it. Ryan Blaney is second in points, but may not make the top 16 to qualify for the playoffs. That means you've got to go for those wins. 
Now, are you going to win from 15th, 14th, or whatever by taking somebody out? And personally, I know this might be another hot topic. I don't know that he took anybody out, but he was involved in it yet again for Ross Chastain. Uh, we'll see if we get to that one a little later. But that, that aggressiveness with this format, it's there. I mean, there. I know a lot of people don't like Joey Logano for that attitude, but it's there. You've got to win, and we're looking at it. Ryan Blaney could be out because he doesn't have a win. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. I mean, there's a certain element of the NASCAR fandom and the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the white collary NASCAR types who like to clutch their pearls and pretend, oh, we don't like crashes in NASCAR. We wish the cars would just race and never crash. And it's, it's so disingenuous. It's so just, it, it, it just bothers me how transparently ridiculous it is because NASCAR as an entity, they love crashes. Why? Well, look at all the promos. 90% of any given NASCAR promo, whether it be a TV commercial, internet spot, even just a picture, usually features at least one and many, most of the time several big wrecks. Why? Because that's what gains interest. People enjoy watching NASCAR for the wrecks. Like it or not, clutch your pearls or not. So the fact that DNFs are up in NASCAR Cup Series racing this year, that sounds like that's good for business. Maybe not the car driving business, certainly the car building business, and definitely the car racing promotion business. So I think NASCAR is very happy with the product that they're seeing on the track, DNFs included. Andy, your follow-up. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I've uh, pretty much taken care of this one, so I'm all set. Okay. Uh, I think the other thing that you need to take a look at is the tracks where the DNFs are up. Uh, Atlanta is one of those tracks. Uh, they had three DNFs in 21 compared to 23 this year. Charlotte had one last year to 17 this year. Darlington, four last year to 13 this year. Talladega, five last year to 13 this year. Uh, and then it gets a little bit less. Um, Las Vegas had two last year to seven uh, this year. Daytona had 18 last year compared to 12 this year. Uh, and then Martinsville had eight last year compared to one this year. So when you look at it by tracks, I think the top tracks that have 10 or more DNFs this year include uh, Michigan, Atlanta, Daytona, Atlanta, Talladega, Darlington, and Charlotte. Uh, the majority of those tracks are what we're considering to be uh, super speedway-type tracks. Uh, Darlington certainly isn't one of those, but Darlington is the lady in black where you kind of expect uh, incidents to happen, but when you compare four last year to 13 this year, uh, that's still a big difference, and the same with Charlotte. One last year compared to 17 this year. I think those two tracks in particular, I think it has to be the aggressive driving. The other tracks, Atlanta, um, Talladega, Daytona, Michigan, Indy, Indy's a little bit different. Well, Indy's in, uh, not in the double digits, uh, but it's Michigan, Atlanta, 
Daytona, Atlanta, Talladega. Those tracks are all super speedway tracks. So, yes, wrecks are going to happen, and and we expect to see that. Um, I'm one of those pearl people, I guess you would call Mike, because when I watch racing, I don't watch it for the wrecks. And I like it when we see good racing. One of my favorite races this year is the race between Noah Gregson and Ty Gibbs when they actually raced each other for that victory. And I think it showcased their talent a lot better than uh, them crashing each other out, uh, what I call the bumper car racing. Um, I don't tune in for bumper car racing. I know I'm in the minority there, and I get that. But... I know that uh, some people do have an interest in the wrecks, uh, but I I do think when you look at the stats that are outlined in this article, you'll see that there are specific tracks where those increases were big, and most of them are super speedway tracks. Jay? Well, I, I was going to say I was happy to follow your uh, statistics there rather than Mike's pearls, but uh, clutching the pearls. <laughs> this, is, this isn't just about wrecking either, though, and that's what, what, what I, the callers in talking with Dave Moody were talking about. It is the mechanical figures. And with this next-gen car, it appears to be in the rear end with the tow bar and the axles. And that is a part of it. And like I said, uh, not that I want to see anybody break, but that is a good thing from that aspect. Now, uh, I'm in the middle uh, between Sharon and Mike here. I'm not opposed to the bump racing. And, yeah, when they have – I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But the aggressive driving, I'm okay with to a certain degree. Bump and run, I'm okay with. Dump and run, not so much. Um, but I think it just adds that intrigue. And I think about we've seen it with the SRX series with Tony Stewart. There's some aggressive racing, but there is good – hard side-by-side racing as well. And I think back, and Sharon, I think you're going to put this on the board probably as your race of the decade or how many years it's been <laughs> since we saw Kurt Busch and Ricky Craven at Darlington. Oh, yeah, that you know, was that finish. And there was, bump, there was bumping and banging there, but both drivers handled their car. And yeah. right now with this next-gen car, I think that's the problem is they don't, once they get bumped, they can't handle it, the one getting bumped. So... I think that's maybe part of it a little bit. And we saw here again uh, this past weekend, there were a couple of spectacular saves we saw. Um, so as drivers get accustomed to that, I think we'll see it and go back to that and not see as many DNFs. But I do like the fact that they're putting the strain on the parts and pieces of the car, that that possibility exists. Like I said, for a stretch, and I, I don't have the numbers of what Dave Moody referenced, but engine failures just aren't like they used to be. Uh, you know, that was a big factor. Could your engine hold up? Well, they've built them so they're indestructible, and that brings it brings those numbers down. But that also, then you lost some of the intri- intrigue because then you have those fast cars, Hendrick, Penske, um, that are out front. This kind of mixes it up. Okay. Uh, Mike, you'll get the next hot topic here. Well, according to Adam Stern, the current street price for a NASCAR Cup Series charter is now reaching 20 at $20 million. Is there a ceiling for the char- uh, a Cup Series charter? And if so, are we ever going to reach it? 
<laughs> Good question. Andy. Interesting that the price continues to go up, but I think that it has to do with supply and demand. There's been a lot of interest in uh, new teams coming into the sport, and in doing so, they are they have to obtain a charter um, to make it viable, and you know it guarantees their spot in the field every week. So you look at you know Petty GMS, Colleague Racing, Spire Motorsports in recent years. Um, there's been all this this uh, demand for it, and, and anytime you have significant demand, it will raise the prices. And I don't think we're done seeing new teams um, come into the sport, whether it be new ownership or a new team within an existing organization. So it's not a huge surprise that the price has gone up. Will we see a limit on it? I think you will at some point. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see fluctuations in the value of the charter as supply and demand changes over time. So, um, but you, you look at, you know, the interest in the sport and, and all the new cars and the new ownership that that's taken place recently. And I think that's probably why the price is where it is. But um, I, I suspect that, you know, there will be a point in which it probably will top out and may or may not decrease depending on interest in, in, in all that stuff that goes into that. But um, it is interesting, but certainly I think what it really just boils down to is the fact that there's a lot of interest. And I had read somewhere recently where, you know, there is still uh, teams that are seeking to, to add charters to their organizations, which means they are still very much in high demand, which in turn has, has given, you know, the high price value to them. Yes, indeed. Jay? This is another one. I wish I had an answer to fix the problem because there is a problem here, in my opinion. I understand that when they first came with the charter system, the intent was to give owners a tangible um, asset in order to sell when they opted to get out of the business for whatever reason. I understand that, and I support that. I don't think the charter and lock-in um, aspect is right because you have a free market, supply and demand. I, I mean, let's be honest, and I'll, I'll get on it before, before Mike does. Chip Ganassi decided to get out, sold his entire racing operation to Trackhouse Racing, and I don't remember where the price was at with that, but he got for, I want to say it was around $13 million, I might be mistaken. He got the charter and the team. The one that's being held out now for supposedly $20 million is the fingers being pointed at Rick Ware Racing, and that is just for the charter. A team isn't going to buy Rick Ware Racing. So how does a team owner, and I, I'm not trying to be cool or rude or anything else here, but how does a team like Rick Ware Racing that runs at the back of the field, puts a car out there every week just to be out there, in my opinion, is still one of your close to starting park teams get twenty million for something that Trackhouse got an entire winning organization for almost less than half than that. What I would look at is there can be a way to reward team owners or give them a bonus portion of the money when it comes to weekly racing and end of the year bonus but not have the locked-in guaranteed charter where you have to have that in order to make, it, make the race. I am in full favor of 
it's an open field. The fastest 40 cars that week get to race that week. If you were there and you didn't make it, you're still eligible for the playoffs. Come back and win your race next week and you're good to go. But week in and week out, let the fastest cars run the race that week and find a different way to reward or take care of these owners that it doesn't lock it up, lock other people out. Because there's teams now that want to come in but can't afford the charter or whatever. And that's what this sport was built on. I mean, if you brought a car to the track, you could go out there and take a run at it. You don't have that no more. you got to have $20 million just to get the charter. It used to be you had to have $20 million to get the team going. Now it's $20 million to get the charter. That's not counting getting the team ready. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think the system's broken because for exactly the reasons you said. There's no way that teams that are running at the back of the field should be demanding $20 million. Um, and uh, I think it's overinflated. Uh, I don't think those teams, those those charters are worth that much money. And I think that um, it's contradictory. It's totally contradictory to the whole reason why NASCAR went to a next-gen car. They wanted to make it easier for teams to get into this sport. Well, a $20 million price tag just to get the charter is not going to make it easier for teams to get into this sport. Uh, so I think that NASCAR and uh, the Race Team Alliance really needs to take a look at this and reevaluate how this is being valued because the value is highly overinflated. I know it has to do with demand. I get that. But it is over overvalued um and and uh i i think that uh uh it's it's contradict to the whole goal of everything that nascar has done to try to make it easier for teams to get into this sport this is not making it easier it's not even easier for the existing teams uh to gain those charters um and and you know, maybe that's part of the problem here, too. If an existing team wants to expand, maybe they shouldn't be doing it by getting charters. I understand why they want the charter to guarantee themselves a spot. But maybe uh, the value of those charters needs to be reevaluated. Maybe an existing team should not be the ones that get those charters. Uh I'm going to interrupt myself here because we're at that time of the night uh, that for our first-time listeners, I just want to let you know that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. However, we are going to continue to record the rest of our conversation, and that part of the show will be available as part of our overtime material on our podcast. So although you hear us going off the air mid-sentence, just know that we are recording the rest of the conversation. I will go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know when the podcast is available. And at that point, just go to our player at com and fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Okay, so uh, we've got that done. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, Jay really hits on a good point here. The the cost of entry to the NASCAR Cup Series, it was supposed to go down with the Gen 7 car. We've seen NASCAR take several steps 
I, up to the point of making a spec pit gun because guys were spending too much money, teams were spending too much money on a pit gun to change tires. So NASCAR went and spec'd that and made them run a specific pit gun just in the interest of trying to reduce costs. But then on the other end of that spectrum, now we've got this charter market that NASCAR created that is going just for exorbitant amounts of money, $20 million now, and that's before you buy the first lug nut. So that, that barrier to entry is not getting lower, it's getting higher. The thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me is why. Why are teams so dependent on getting these charters? There are 40 starting spots in the NASCAR Cup Series where there's 36 charters. There are four slots available in any given NASCAR Cup Series race, and with the exception of the Daytona 500, nobody's gone home from a NASCAR Cup Series race in years because they don't have 40 cars show up to these races. We're having 36 to 37 show up on a week-by-week basis, maybe 38 every once in a rare while. So I don't understand why teams feel that a charter is an absolute necessity to break into the sport these days, especially when the charter market is so grossly inflated like it is. I'm not in the business of buying a NASCAR Cup Series team. I kind of wish I was, but I'm not that good of a race car driver, so I'm not going to try it. But if I was, I'd tell Rick Ware to take his $20 million charter and file it in a place where it's going to be nice and warm because I don't need to spend $20 million to make a NASCAR Cup Series race. If me and Jay Hoosman want to go build a bad, fast race car and we can pass tech, we can take one of those four spots that are available right now, and we can make a NASCAR Cup Series race without a charter because there's four exactly. spots right now that aren't being entirely used. So that'd be a way to undercut the charter market. And I don't, maybe I don't understand the business end of it. I'm not a smart guy, but it seems like that would be the move I would want to make right now if I'm trying to start or expand my NASCAR Cup Series team is don't play with the charter market. It's not worth it right now. Candy, your follow-up? Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what the value does in the future. I, I think that, um, you know, just we've seen this influx of teams coming in, and I think that's what's driven the price up because of the fact that they're in such high demand. But I, I tend to think that the prices will, will come up and down depending on, you know, what kind of interest is in them. So we'll see what happens with it. But interesting to note that, they're worth $20 million. That's an awful lot of money. And uh, it, it's almost interesting to, from the perspective of a new team coming in, you know, in order to pay that kind of money, you know, you got to have a pretty significant return on your investment to make it worth the, the, the whole purchasing a charter from the get-go. So, um, you know, I would be curious to see, you know, what the financials are on that to see how worth it it really is. But, um yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with that, you know, down the road. Okay. Jay, are you on mute? Mike, Mike, hit, Mike hit on something here that right now that's, that's okay. You can come in and take one of those four spots. It was at the time we still were getting full fields, and I think NASCAR expected that with, and this goes to Sharon's point, the intent of the next-gen car was to make it affordable so that new teams could come in. And, and that's that guarantee. The charter is the guarantee 
to be in each and every race. Um, right now, you're right that we're not even filling the field, so that's not the issue. If Junior Motorsports will want to move up, but it is also then the the intent was for when a team is done racing and wants to get out of the sport, that having something tangible to sell, especially when you looked at what they would get on the dollar for selling their assets because it was outdated, well, that's not as applicable anymore anyway because of the next-gen car. So they really have nothing to sell then when they get out. Uh, I understand that aspect and the intent behind it. Something I was thinking was you could do one per organization or team owner. Um, so just take Hendrick Motorsports. I know that's somebody's favorite team. <laughs> Hendrick Motorsports has one locked-in spot. If it needs to be Kyle Larson this week, Chase Elliott next weekend, whatever, they got one guaranteed spot for their four cars. Each organization gets one guaranteed spot, and then that put the charter on an organization, how many cars you got, whether it be one, four, whatever. That would bring it at least somewhat down because we only have – I don't know how many actual different organizations we have, but that would at least help uh, alleviate some of that, and you could bring in more teams, organizations then. Yeah. I, if if you're going to spend $20 million, why not invest it in the team? Why, why are you buying a charter? You could take that $20 million and invest it in a team and have a darn good team uh, to put on the racetrack and, and – uh, and qualify their way into the race. So I, I just don't understand the logic of buying a charter to guarantee a spot in this day and age. Uh, I think that um, y- you could invest that money differently and get better results, actually, uh, than if you buy a charter. So I I just think that they, these uh, teams that are looking for charters, I think they need to rethink, do they really need a charter? Uh, I really think that existing teams should not have the ability to buy a charter. Uh, I think that those charters should be for new teams that want to come into the sport. And what they're willing to pay for a team that's running at the back of the field uh, and I guarantee you, a new team coming into this sport isn't going to pay $20 million to come into this sport. Um, so I think that you, you, you drop that price down dramatically if you don't allow the existing teams to buy those charters. Um, they've got their charters, and, and that's all the charters they're going to get. Or um, They have to earn a charter by having a car for – X number of years or something along those lines. Uh, but I could see them spending that $20 million a lot differently and getting a lot better results. I, I think they really need to rethink buying charters as a way of expanding their team. Mike? I'll close it with a little bit of perspective here because I don't really have a whole lot more new to add to this. But for, for perspective purposes, the cost of a charter right now, we say, is $20 million. Well, what does $20 million mean to a NASCAR Cup Series team? Well, the big talk this whole season, the silly season, has been about Kyle Busch potentially leaving Joe Gibbs Racing because of the loss of their M&M's Mars sponsorship. The total value that Mars was paying to Joe Gibbs Racing, $25 million. 
So the cost of just the charter, no equipment, no race entry fee, no overhead costs, no building, no nothing to run your race team, just the charter, whether it's, I don't know if it's a piece of paper or whatever, whatever actually is a charter, um, but just the charter is only $5 million less than the entire contribution of M&Ms to the number 18 Joe Gibbs racing car for an entire season. And it's part of the reason why Kyle Busch might not be returning to Joe Gibbs Racing. That's how much money we're talking about for just a charter. Something's got to give because it's that, like we said, it's broken. Okay. Uh, Andy, you're up. All right, let's take a look here. As far as topics are concerned... So, yeah, um, Kevin Harvick, of course, has come off two straight wins. Does that automatically make him a championship favorite, or should we, um, you know, be cognizant of the fact that up until only two weeks ago, this team has been struggling this season? So is this a resurgence to pay attention to or no? Okay. Uh, Jake. Well, and that's what I was looking at, and I know Mike had one up to a little bit higher up of um, the playoffs look pretty set as they are. We do have the possibility, I mentioned it earlier, Ryan Blaney um, could still get bumped out, as well as Kurt Busch, if we were to get two new race winners. Um, does Harvick come out as the favorite? He's a contender. I mean, I don't, I don't know... Depends on how you want to look at it. If you want to look at it of uh, my favorite guy is Chase Elliott, he's the favorite. And he does have 25 playoff points built up. So you got to look at him at least being able to ride and advance to the final four. And he's been a uh, little bit off again for the past week, but a uh, week or two, but had a great string of top two finishes. Kevin Harvick right now is hitting on all eight cylinders. And I didn't expect him to come out and win back-to-back races, but I know when we talked about him being the one outside of the win win bubble and the 16 playoff drivers, I said he had been running good, just not getting the finishes, and I think we're starting to see that. So he is one that him and Rodney Childers both said, we have had to adapt to this new car. It's not what we've known for 20, 30, 40 years, and they are showing they have. So look out. I mean, you talk about the closer. It's coming to the close of the season. He's definitely in the talk without a doubt. I don't know that you can put him as the favorite. Um, he might get chastained. Uh, we'll use that word for the night. <laughs> so, um, although, I, and I will say this, I did hear during his interview, he mentioned the mistake he made last year, and he didn't say how did he put it? Something about letting what happened with Chase Elliott go and focus on winning the championship and not the feud. Uh, I caught that during his interview, so I think we've seen maturity from Kevin Harvick. <laughs> what? Okay, Mike. <laughs> well, this is a little bit of an interesting dynamic here, right? Think back to 2020. Kevin Harvick was the man to beat. I, he had a commanding regular season championship. I think he had already clinched it at this point with two races left in the regular season. I think he had something like eight or nine wins at this point in the season. And he went in to the playoffs and kind of, he he started with a commanding amount of playoff points. And well, 
Chase Elliott ended up winning the 2020 Cup Series championship, and now the roles are somewhat reversed, where we've had Chase Elliott, who he only has four wins, but has had a very dominant via consistency regular season where he's got a commanding points lead in the regular season. He's looking to uh, enter the playoffs with 25 earned playoff points plus an additional 15 for the winning the regular season championship. So as it's this right now, Chase Elliott will start the playoffs with 40 playoff points, but there's that thing about momentum, right? In 2020, Chase Elliott and the nine team, they got super hot in the playoffs, and they were able to take that hot momentum through the playoffs and win the 2020 championship, even though Kevin Harvick had such an outstanding regular season. Now, can Kevin Harvick and the four team do the same thing in reverse? Are they getting hot now and will continue to carry that momentum through the playoffs? Maybe. I don't know. It's tough to say. The Fords have not shown a lot of speed so far this year. So our two wins back-to-back by Kevin Harvick and the four team, is that showing a start of a trend that's going to continue through the playoffs, or is it just a hot flash in the pan? I don't know. Um, We're coming up on two tracks where Kevin Harvick traditionally is not the best at, Watkins Glen and Daytona. Um, yes, he has wins at those facilities, but he's not exactly a, a regular pick at those places either. So I don't know that I would say that Kevin Harvick has a strong chance of going three or four in a row. Obviously, it's potential, but he's all, he, the playoffs start at Darlington. He's usually pretty decent at Darlington. That goes through Bristol as the first cutoff race there, and Harvick's pretty decent at Bristol too. So that's especially the first round of the playoffs, really give a good opportunity for that four team to shore up this momentum and continue the hot streak, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and really build that momentum going through the later part of the playoffs. Yeah, I'll add on a little bit here to what Mike has said. I think back to that few years ago when Kevin Harvick had those nine wins, uh, and there was some question about whether or not he was cheating to get those nine wins. And myself, one of those people, saying, I don't want to see somebody who's been cheating all year go out there and win a championship. I think the lesson that Kevin Harvick and his team probably learned from that year is that it's better to get that momentum going into the playoffs than to have it early and and lose it during the playoffs. So I do think... Uh, I think also back to Tony Stewart, who a few years ago uh, at this time of the season said, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. We're running like crap. We haven't done anything all year, and we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Well, they made it to the playoffs, and guess what? He won five out of the ten races in those playoffs. So it is going to be interesting to see what uh, Kevin Harvick does uh, in the playoffs. Uh, there is something to be said about momentum, and it's better to um, – it, it's possible he could fizzle out. Uh, it, like Mike said, there's a couple races here that are not necessarily his strong suit, but uh, there are some races during the playoffs that are his strong suit. And now that they've got this car figured out, uh, is Kevin Harvick going to be the guy that's going to – the next guy that's going to win five out of the next ten races when the playoffs begin? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it, it's an interesting uh, storyline that I think is building. 
uh, and it can either fizzle or it's going to gain momentum and, and be the big story of the year. We'll have to wait and see which one it is. Andy? Yeah, I think it's an interesting time for, for this team to get it right, if you will. I think that, you know, winning two weeks in a row is no fluke. Um, you know, certainly last week they were in the right place at the right time with track position, but to be able to do it twice in a in a row is is a good sign for that organization. You know, Stuart Haas has struggled quite a bit the last couple of seasons, um, you know, but they've got three wins this year now, and it looks like maybe they're getting – their stuff right at the right time. Um, I think this is the time of the year when you, you want to be on the upswing and you want to be running better. Um, we've seen teams in the past that started the year out strong, but kind of faded out. And this is not the time of the year to fizzle out. This is the time of the year where you need to get better and you need to perform. And, and um, apparently the four car has figured something out. Um, that hopefully for their sake translates into a good playoff run. A couple, three weeks ago, I wasn't even sure they were going to make the playoffs, and and now we're, you know, looking at looking at them going on this hut streak. So obviously, I think you know they need to maybe show us a little bit more in terms of are they for real or not. But certainly, winning two races in a row is is a really good momentum builder going into the playoffs in just a few short weeks. And so, um, yeah, it's. And, and like Mike alluded to, the Fords have been probably the weak manufacturer this year for whatever reason, not because they don't have good organizations. They do. But I think for whatever reason, the Fords are at a disadvantage over Toyotas and Chevys. And for, you know, for all the hard work that the teams have put in, maybe they're finally reaping the rewards of that. Um, you know, in this, in the sports cyclical too, you know, organizations, you know, will run really well and then maybe fade off a bit. Um, we've seen, you know, Hendrick Motorsports go through their hardship and, you know, come back to being strong and, you know, all these teams go through ups and downs and, you know, certainly Stuart Haas has endured some downs the last couple of years. So maybe they're finally figuring things out to where the whole organization may start to collectively run better. In fact, they, for the most part, ran pretty well at Richmond if it wasn't for, uh, some adversity that they suffered on a couple of their cars. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with Harvick specifically. I mean, Watkins Glen and Daytona are kind of crapshoots, really. Anything can happen in those races, so you can't really put a lot of stock into that. But once we get into the playoffs, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not this team can sustain uh, this kind of performance long-term or not. Okay. Uh, Jay. Well, I'd say Andy used my word there of cyclical, but uh, I don't know that I had that word in my bank of vocabulary anyway. When you look at it, you know, last year we had Kyle Larson picking up the 10 victories. Did hold on and maintain it pretty much all year. When you talk about Kevin Harvick the year prior, and I know, Sharon, you kept mentioning it all year of, are you peaking too soon? And we saw that. Whatever they had went away, and I still blows my mind of uh, – he really didn't show up in the playoffs at all, uh, let alone make a run for the championship. So I don't know what happened there. What I would be leery of here as of late as a whole, Ford's organization, the manufacturer, has definitely found what they were missing throughout the year. Like, like Mike said, they've been the, the weakest manufacturer. Uh, I look at Chris Busher. 
uh, you know, I really thought he was going to upset the apple cart this weekend and truthfully was pulling for him. Not that I didn't want to see Harvick win, but um, so there's several drivers right now. When you look at the playoffs, it is the 10 races as well as that final race. That's when you've got to be absolutely on top of your game. The other one that I look at right now, as far as seeming to have solid momentum moving forward, is Bubba Wallace. So there again, and truthfully, as much as we talked about it, the track house, uh, Ross Chastain, overall throughout the year, has been one of the more consistent top tens. I know earlier in the year we threw some stats. Our track house had more top tens with their two cars than Hendrick Motorsports. And then you throw Chase Elliott right back into it. So right now, like I said, it's really tough to say a favorite. They are definitely strong contenders. A couple of them, like I said, could still upset the apple cart, which I'm still kind of hoping for here at Watkins Glen. We know Daytona really could throw that monkey wrench into it all. Um, But once it settles out, we're going to see the cream rise to the top. And right now, Harvick is definitely rising. Mm -hmm. Mike? Right now, I mean, obviously Jay's going to accuse me of being biased, but right now, until they show me otherwise, I've still got to pick Chase Elliott in the nine team as the odds-on championship favorite. He had that streak back last month where it was one and two for basically six weeks straight, first and second, and then he had some so-called bad finishes. His bad finish at Indianapolis, I think he finished like 25th, but that he ran second or third all day and got dumped out of second place by the foolishness in turn one. So it's not like they had a bad day at Indianapolis. They just had a bad finish. Michigan was really the only place that they didn't show speed, and they still finished uh, 12th, something like that. Richmond, they were somewhat quiet yesterday, but he finished fifth. So it's not like the nine team has really fallen off any. They just have not finished first or second over the past three weeks, which seems like a a major drop-off for them. So – I would say the nine team is probably still the championship favorite until some other team shows otherwise. The four team has definitely shown up over the past two weeks, but two weeks worth of success, and obviously two wins is about as successful as it gets, but two weeks worth of success, that doesn't overcome the previous 25 weeks where the team has been somewhat struggling. I'd like to see a little bit more consistency out of the four team to to have that confidence that they're going to be able to carry that through to the playoffs. We get through the first round of the playoffs, Darlington, Las Vegas, and Bristol are all three races where the four team traditionally does very, very well. If they're still showing strong momentum after that first round of the playoffs, I could see the four team definitely being a legitimate championship contender. But until then, I'm going to want to see a little bit more consistent, strong results out of the four instead of just two weeks back-to-back of great performance. But I want to see something that tells me it's not just a flash in the pan. Yeah, it's the rest of the story that we're looking for. And the next few weeks will tell us whether or not he's going to be on a string of wins. Uh, We don't know yet. Uh, But two back-to-back wins certainly uh, put him in a a good momentum position. And and they've said that they've struggled throughout the year to get to this point. But they have obviously found something to get the two back-to-back wins that they've gotten in the last two weeks. 
So that's not good news for the competition. Uh, As for Hendrick Motorsports, Hendrick Motorsports, notoriously, the 10 races before the championship begins, before the playoffs begin, that's testing time for Hendrick Motorsports. So they're testing a lot of different things right now, and that's why they're getting different results. Um, And they're testing those things to be prepared for the playoffs. That's Chad Knauss. That's his M.O. So I would not count Chase Elliott out at this point, but there's a lot to be said for team momentum. When your team is on a winning streak, that builds up a lot of confidence and a lot of um, uh, momentum, I guess, is the only word I can come up with right now, but a lot of energy for them going into the playoffs. There's still two more races. Uh, They might get their coming up in the next two races. We'll see. But if he, if uh, Kevin Harvick and the number four team can roll off some more wins, um, I, I think that we've got to count him into that championship mix. Uh, and, you know, he's a little bit cocky about it, if you will, because he said for all those naysayers out there, uh, he, he, he's, he's saying he's here to play. So that tells me that Kevin Harvick has some confidence going into these playoffs. We'll see what happens. And uh, I think, I think, well, the next few races will tell us what to think for the rest of the uh, playoffs. Andy? Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see if they can sustain this level of performance or not. It's no secret they've struggled um, going winless last season and, you know, taking the better part of this season to win a race. Um, but clearly they figured something out, something that they've been missing all year. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with not just them, but the rest of that team moving through the end of the regular season into the playoffs. And, you know, to reiterate what's already been said, you know, this is the time of the year where you have to, you have to start performing to make a, a championship run. And certainly, um, you know, Mike made a good point. we probably need to see a little bit more from them if we're going to consider them to be a strong championship threat, but um, you can never really count them out. You know, they've certainly been in the position to win championships time and time again, Um, you know, but certainly if if I were the rest of the competition, I would probably (laughs) take notice of the four car just from the standpoint of, you know, they went from, you know, not being taken that seriously to, oh, they're back. I, they're winning races again. So, um, but are they, I mean, are they the best one out there? I don't think you can say that. There's a lot of really good teams that are well positioned for a championship run this year, but um, I think they're in that conversation now versus a couple of weeks ago where they were not. So um, are they fully back? I don't know, but are they on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. Winning two in a row is certainly um, a great way to position yourself going into the playoffs. Okay. I think we're going to have to make that it for tonight. Uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour here, and uh, uh, we'll go ahead and do our roundtable. Jay, we'll start with you here. All right. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar_mj8 on Twitter and Instagram, and I won't be able to be on Thursday. Hopefully, Andy, I know you said that we could kind of pencil you in. Hopefully you can help out here, uh, as I will be hanging out with the dirtiest voice in the South, Chris Crichton, 
at the 10th Annual Street Stock Nationals at Wynott Motorsports Park. we got 100 street stocks and 100 factory stocks already pre-entered, so I'm going to be busy from Thursday afternoon on through Sunday. Okay. Andy? Yeah, for me, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, good to be back, obviously, tonight. And uh, as of right now, yeah, I should be able to do the full one on uh, Thursday, so looking forward to that. Okay, and Mike? Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I'm kind of glad I made it to the end of the of the show. If you can't tell by my voice, I'm kind of fading out here. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back a little bit better on Thursday. Schedule should allow me to be on the air, so unless I get worse, I look forward to talking to you all again on Thursday. Okay, sounds good. I am uh, Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforacing.com where we have our Fan for Racing radio player uh, for everybody to listen to both the live broadcast as well as our podcast after the show. So uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say, uh, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. Uh, so uh, also big thanks to our Fan for Racing crew here tonight, uh, and that includes Sal Sagala for the first 90 minutes, Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, and Mike Orzel. Uh, we appreciate all that you guys do and contribute to the show. Uh, and then uh, we will be back on Thursday night. Andy's going to co-host. We've got him penciled in for now. Hopefully that will all work out. Uh, and uh, we'll be back to do our preview of Watkins Glen and all the races that will be taking place there this weekend. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to say good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. Okay, up next.